and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. I'm the mighty Thor. Yeah. <laughs> hey, everybody. It's an all-Hellboy podcast. We're reading all the Hellboy comics and sometimes some books. Sometimes some books in the book <laughs> club. And every week we interact with our awesome listeners, and Danielle's going to tell you all about it. I am going to tell you about that. So what we're going to do is we're a book club, so we're going to tell you to read a thing, and you're going to read the thing. And then we're going to also read it, and we're going to talk about it, and then you're going to listen to us talking about it, and then you're going to send us an email or social media message that's, hey, damn guys, and you're going to talk <laughs> about what you were thinking about while we were talking about what we all read, and then we're going to talk about what you talked about, about what we were talking about, and that's <laughs> that's a book club, and that's friendship. Back to you, John. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I was uh, petting my dog, so I missed all that. Can you repeat everything word for word what you just said? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted to give some shouts outs for this week. Shouts out. Yeah, I wanted to thank A.T. Johnston. A.T. Johnston, huh? Book club member. Yeah, he's a book club member. Yeah, we were talking about that Frankenstein with the illustrations by Bernie Wrightson. Yeah. And I was talking to AT, and he was like, hey, give me your address. I want to send you something. And he sent me the book. Yeah, we, we thought it was going to be like just a little something, something, like maybe a doodle or yeah. know, you know, maybe an issue of something. But it was an entire a book. Yeah, and he wrote a little something in there. He wrote in, uh, something inside for us, and that, that was really sweet. Really so, super thoughtful Yeah, and sweet. totally like unexpected. Really and, nice. um, you know, I'd, had, I'd kind of been having like a crappy week because I threw yeah. out my back again yeah. <laughs> this week. God damn. Well, although Sorry, although I'm not I'm I'm doing a lot better than I was last time. Finally got him to go to the physical therapy. Finally started doing that. A rusty, we love it. And um yeah, I'm feeling a lot better today. And it was just a whole lot of stuff going on, and so that was really nice to get that in the mail. I was talking to AT and I was like, Oh man, you totally didn't have to do that. He said, I'm happy to do it. And the mention of my brief messages on the last episode was a pleasant surprise. I was just grinding up my coffee, and I heard you talking about my message. That really made my day. And Danielle's pep talk was very sweet. Remember you gave him a pep talk to go to work? Aww. He said, I really dig my job, so it's not too painful, but that was still much appreciated. You know, when we when we got that, we were very touched. It was very sweet. And I'm really excited to read it. I can't wait. Oh, yeah. It looks so, awesome. I flipped through it. Yeah. And so, like, John John started this whole thing up just because, well, reading Hellboy comics, talking to your friends, right? So that's, when we get stuff, we're like, oh, you don't have to send us anything. But then, like, you know, we send stuff back and forth, and it's kind of like... Yeah. That's kind of what you do with your friends, right? You send it's each other stuff. It's real friendship, stuff. especially exactly. in it's this actually, time when, yeah. like, we can't actually hang out with yeah. people, even if we wanted to. Yeah, so you, you send stuff to each other, send stuff back and forth. So it's very touching and very sweet, so thank you for that. Yeah, so thank you so much, A.T. I really appreciate it, man. He said that he's in the process of moving right now, um, so life has been kind of a nightmare, but I will be uh, done on Sunday, which is my birthday. Hey. So it's his birthday this weekend. Happy so birthday. yeah, happy, happy birthday. birthday, man. Thank happy, you so much. Happy birthday. Happy finishing moving. Yeah. That's a good feeling to finish moving. Heck yeah. <laughs> Especially, uh, two years after you've moved when you finally finish unpacking. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best. And we had a fundraiser update from Jacob Casillas. Hey, Jacob Casillas. 
book club member right. and winner. And, and winner. winner. Lawrence Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. Jacob Casillas was our grand prize winner. He said that he received the final part of his prize from the UK, the book from Lawrence Campbell. Oh, nice. He said, thank you so much for starting the fundraiser. Everything is so fantastic. I did not know about Rain before, but I will be donating to them again. Right. Thanks. Right yeah, that was oh, very awesome. cool. I'm glad to hear that. We also heard again from Tom Fisher. Hey, Tom Fisher. Book club member. Book club member. We mentioned his band Modus Fire and their kick-ass song Hell on Earth last week. Tom said, yeah, he said, uh, just dropping a quick line to thank you again. It was a really heartwarming thing hearing you all talk about it so positively. You made my year, mate. I'm stoked. Such friendship. Very book club. Wow. (laughs) I, uh... After we recorded last week, I actually went and listened to the entire album, and the entire album is a rocker. Yeah. If you love if you love rock music, you definitely got to check this one out. It's great. Awesome. Okay. okay. Words of praise from from Aubrey. And, check out their album. And and the song "Hell on Earth" kind of gets is a little catchy, and it gets stuck in my head. And I was like singing myself singing it to myself the other day. I'm like. Hey, that's that Hellboy song. Nice. Love it. <laughs> right on. Yeah, it does get stuck in your head. I, I noticed it getting stuck in my head, too. We also heard from Jim Laurie. Jim Laurie. A book club member. Book club member. Yeah, he threw my way. Um, there's an interesting interview with book club member Lawrence Campbell oh, okay. on a podcast called The Ice Cast, which is on oh. Podbean. Oh, yeah, okay. so he said to check that out. Have you checked that out, Aubrey? I have not checked it out yet, but I did see that it was available. Awesome. Yeah, I got to check that out. Let's everyone go listen to that if you are like, hey, I wish there was more to listen to. There's there's a thing you can listen <laughs> there you to. Go. There you go. Yeah, no, I, I need to check it out. Uh, I saw because I actually follow Lawrence Campbell on Twitter and I saw that he posted it. So I was like, ooh, I got to check this out. But I was at work, so I never got a chance to. Right. A riveting <laughs> anecdote. <laughs> and, you know, I don't plug my own personal projects too much, but I did want to shout out our band Only Beast. We have a new single out right now. Shout, don't shout out your own band. You could say we okay. got a new song out. I don't know if that warrants an entire shout out. Okay, so what should I say then? <laughs> Hey, I want to shout out, you guys got a new single All out. right, okay. It's so awesome. Aww. I already purchased my copy Thank of you. the band camp. I had to buy it. I mean, we, we just... Of course I had okay. to buy it. <laughs> well, we got a new song out. It's a new song, and it's off the new album. It's a single. You can go to OnlyBeast.com, too. It's got, like, everything all in one. Oh, awesome. Place there, it'll tell you where to go to get to the music. Yeah, so... I pay $12 a year for that for that address. <laughs> go to Go use it. And like I say, if you want to support the show, you know, follow us on social media, leave us a review. That always helps us out. It puts us in that algorithm where more people can discover our podcast. Lately, I've been getting a lot more feedback of people saying, hey, I just found out about your show. So, you know, leave a review, share us on social media, share our posts and all that kind of stuff. It helps to support the show. You know, everything that we do on the show is free. And so we appreciate any kind of shares, retweets and all that good stuff. Your right. website is pretty cool. Thank you. I spent a lot of time on it. I appreciate that. Oh, I actually saw something on um, on the Facebook today that I wanted to talk about. Uh, Jerry posted something like, you know, we're going to have Jerry Turnbull post like. Jerry uh, Turnbull, are you talking about Jerry Turnbull book club member? Continue. Yes, that Jerry. He yeah. uh, posts, he, you know how he posts on the Mike Mignola page all the time. And he posted a Lobster Johnson one today. Sure. And I saw, I saw this comment. From uh, Mark Tweedell, uh, it says, like, still hoping to read a Lobster Johnson uh, Chicago story someday. I suspect the Helioptic Brotherhood of Ra or Cyber Gray connection, since they were both active in uh, Chicago in 1910. And Mike Mignola responded, and he's like, oh, it's shit. funny that nobody has ever asked me about the oh, origin of the lobster oh, story. Shit. 
And Mark's like, Mark, and then Mark goes on to tell him, I'm not going to read everything else anymore, but then Mark goes on to tell him that we had a huge discussion of it on the bookcast, on the, on the bookcast. It's on kind the of a bookcast, yeah. Yeah, and, and um, then a couple people were like, yes, please, we will. And then, and then Mike responded to, to um, I call me Mike because we're, we're best friends now. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Mignola. Uh, he responded to, to Mark. He's like, he came up, you know, cause he talked, okay. He talked about the pirate stuff and all that Mark did and all that. And so okay. Mike, Mike, Mike's uh, replied, I came up with all that uh, crazy pirate, um, and shape changing stuff to give it to John, but I didn't think he'd really use it. I think so much of that background is best kept as a tall tale rather than an definitive story. But then in that world, the crazier the story, the more likely it is to be true. Okay. Wow. Right on. Okay. So is he a so weird kind spirit? Of, maybe he is. Maybe he's a pirate. Maybe he's a weird ghost. <laughs> yeah. But but I, I like the idea of I, I don't know I like the idea of just keeping it like a tall tale. I mean, sure. even Mignola sure. loves that. So that's that's Who pretty knows? awesome. We kind of kind of got an answer on that when we were talking about it uh, months ago. That's, yeah. That's well, sometimes awesome. so sometimes less can be more, right? Sometimes leaving it up to the imagination or interpret you know reader's interpretation can be fun. But yeah, it's always fun to engage in those conversations, even if you, sometimes it's fun to not get a straight answer and still engage right. in that way. So that's that's pretty cool. I do like the idea of what if the it's the spirit of the lobster, he's a real ghost or something right, like that yeah. might be cool. Yeah. So who knows? But that's neat. That is so awesome. And so that was on Mike Mignola's art on Facebook, right? Yes. Mignola does stop in on there and leave comments on some Quite of the often. posts. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah it's definitely yeah. worth following them on Facebook if you're not already on there. So, so anytime there's some shithead talking shit on there, it's kind of like, you know, like literally the creator of this stuff is going to read what you're saying. Maybe you should chill the fuck out yeah. a little bit. Like that's, <laughs> I think people are so used to just saying whatever the fuck they want on the internet and being like, no one's going to read this or take it seriously. It's not going to get back to anyone of consequence. But, like, I feel like you should always talk on the internet the way that you would talk to someone face-to-face in real life. Because, like, that's that's what you're... Di- I mean, even if you're not there in the same room right. as the person, like, he's going to fucking see that shit. That's yeah. so rude. What the fuck? <laughs> you know, even you don't have to like everything. Even if you don't like it, you don't necessarily have to fucking say some a bunch of bullshit like i see i feel like there's a difference between being like i do not necessarily prefer to read this and talking a bunch of shit right you know like yeah, there's yeah. a difference so yeah, anyway there, that's just a- in a little aside too he because he does fucking read all that shit so anyway yeah no i totally agree there, there's a difference between um actual criticism and yeah. just just whining all right and now we're gonna go on to our listener feedback john is so <laughs> mad at me listener Feedback. Yeah, there you go. Get out, trades and floppies. Get out, hardback copies. Digital is fine. Read along in time. Get out. We got a Hey Damn Guys from Braxton Harrington. Braxton Harrington. Book club member. Book club member. He said, Hellboy Book Club, I've been listening to you guys for months. And as a huge Mignolaverse fan, I am so glad to have found you. I'm actually only up to A Cold Day in Hell on the podcast and the rereading, but I'm sick of being so far away from all the great discussions. (laughs) It's like when Scrooge was sad because he couldn't slam dance with old Fizzywig at that party that already happened or something like that. (laughs) 
I understood that reference. <laughs> <laughs> he said, anyway, I know how this works. I'll be brief. So regarding Kashi, there was no way staying there with the dragon was the way for young Kashi to go. Remaining with sure. the dragon as his son translates to eventually devouring someone who couldn't answer a riddle or something like that. All right. <laughs> Dragons are dragons. Let's it, that's I won't have any of that uh, <laughs> dragonism here. He also said, if you see a chatty ass goose talking about running you up to his mistress, get out. The mistress will inevitably be some elf queen looking to do some shenanigans, a demon looking to be a demon, or a baby broiling horror hag, which in this case is the shirtless damn Baba Yaga herself. So there you go. Just run. I won't say any time there's a talking goose. <laughs> I will say in that instance, yeah, you know. That's that's bad news for sure. That is ominous. Yeah. That's an ominous goose. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe there's a talking goose that's good somewhere? Sure, okay. Uh, I'll show myself out. He loved the discussion about the dragon at his deathbed. He said, I tend to think that the magical lands where the dragon and Kashi live are a place of myth, probably a storied reflection of the real world. I don't see the tale of the Watchers and the Ogdra Jihad mapping exactly onto the history the dragon was sharing with Kashi and the history of their world. Though the Watcher's history does certainly inform their world, but they live in a fairy tale, and I suspect Kashi was swept away there when the dragon first found him beat down in the woods. I think he's been there ever since. I do feel like there's alternate dimension, yeah, uh, you know, maybe like concurrent dimension, parallel dimension, I don't know, something like that going on for sure. He said, uh, again, I'm so thankful you guys are out there doing this. You damn guys are the best. Braxton Harrington. Oh, Thank oh. you so much, man. Thank you. The best at being total goofballs. <laughs> I do love that theory. That That is a new one that Kashi's been there in the woods the entire time. Mm. You know what I mean? Like mm. all this fairy tale stuff didn't happen. Maybe it all happened in like the last moments of his life as he was like laying there dying or I don't know. Something like that. They, I love all these different theories that we get. Um, it really just shows how you can kind of pour your own thoughts and your own yeah. interpretation into these stories. It always leaves a little wiggle room for you to go, hmm, what really happened? I like to think of it as parallel or concurrent realities mm -hmm. kind of enfolding. Well, and we in saw that in, in uh, yeah. at the end of Hell on Earth. We saw that yeah. there is a multiverse in this universe and there's all these different realities happening at the same time. Right, and I, I kind of feel like, um, you know, reality quote-unquote is so subjective like they're you know obviously that's going to be a lot of different things to a lot of different people and in this case it's a very extreme example of that idea maybe yeah so i, I like the idea of um a lot of different realities kind of happening all at the same quote-unquote time yeah we also heard from ben stenbeck hey ben stenbeck book club artist extraordinary yeah, he's, yeah. yeah. Book club member this yeah makes him a book club. he's a book club member it, it really book does because uh so. Based on his comment, you know, I think that he actually listened to the episode. Yeah. He said, thanks, you damn guys. Great work. It's by far my favorite book I've done. I'm working on my own project right now, but after that, I'll be heading back to some familiar territory with Mike. Ooh. Oh, man, that is so exciting. Not only for his own book, because I would love to see Ben Stenbeck's <laughs> own, own book. Yeah, for sure. Um, but also the, the prospect I mean, that he'd be going back and working with Mignola that's again. That's cool. That's fun. That's actually really exciting. I would, I, I'm excited to see what he uh, puts out for his own book, and then I'm um, curious to know what he's going to be doing with uh, Mignola. Yeah, that's exciting. He also said, I say Koshche. Is that how? Koshche. I read that totally different from the way you uh, Okay, well, it's K-O-S-H-C-H-E-Y. 
I don't even know. He even spelled it out. <laughs> I still don't know how he's saying it. I think we would all have to, like, put a little voice recording right. of how we each <laughs> each person individually pronounces it. The way I read it was Kashki. See, he even spelled it phonetically, and all three of us came away with a different understanding right, of what yeah. it sounded like. So He said, I'm pretty sure that's wrong, but I'm kind of stuck with it at this point. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> We're going to have to go ahead and say, look, however you pronounce it, we all know... We all know who you're talking about. At this point, we all have an understanding of what it is we're trying to communicate. So as long as we understand what the other person is trying to communicate, it's really not important, like, the specifics of it. It's yeah. it's fine. Yeah, but that was so cool to hear from Ben Stenbeck. Yeah. Thanks for chiming in. Thank you very much for that. Oh, yes. Thank you. We also heard from Jerry Turnbull. Hey, Jerry Turnbull. Book club member. Book club member. He said, I think the Baba Yaga was very much in love with Koshki. Then she turned into a mental controlling monster. Her feelings for him were strong at the end. That behavior is going to just happen across the board. So, yeah. I mean, manipulative and controlling, and that's just kind of like how right. that, that character is. So That reflects like real life stuff that happens, right? Absolutely. Yeah. There's all kinds of, you know, people do shit like that in their relationships all the time. Hayden Orr said... Hayden Orr. Hayden Orr. Book club member. Book club member. <laughs> he yeah. said, I was scrolling through Instagram while listening to the episode, and an artist I follow posted a pic he did recently that was strangely coincidental. Oh, okay. His Instagram is Stanislav Herbakov. And so that's Stanislav, H-E-R-B-A-K-O-V. And he also linked his art station. Check out all that Russian folklore-flavored imagery. Oh, okay. And so that was an instant follow for me. Awesome. I'll, um, awesome. I'll share some of the artwork in our stories if you want to follow that page as well. But it was um, really awesome, like, Russian folktale-type fantasy work. Okay. And it looked like kind of like a Koshki-esque character and stuff like that. Uh, it was really awesome. I'll have to check that out. Oh, nice. Drew Campbell came in with some sword research for us. Drew Campbell. Book club member. Book club member and yeah. sword researcher extraordinaire. Yeah, and last week Aubrey asked them to do sure, the research yeah. for me. So, yes, thank you so <laughs> what much. What do you got for us, Drew Campbell, book club member? He said, future Koshki's sword looks like maybe what is referred to as a flamboyant Indian sword. Hmm. Also shown in this picture. And he also linked some other pictures that kind of resembled it, including the Kikuri, the Kapis, and the Falcada. Okay. Those are all different kinds of swords, and they all kind of have that lopsided you know what i mean that the mongolian yeah. warrior had curved. yeah it was really cool they all uh, kind of resembled it i thought the the kukuri was the closest one to yeah it. for sure agreed uh they uh they all look pretty badass though yeah <laughs> yeah thank you for that sword research lobster twenty thousand said lobster twenty thousand book club member mm-hmm. They said, I really like how the story takes the fairy tale elements 100% seriously, like the duck under the bridge in chapter four. It could seem silly in other stories, but it's chilling here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, like know. that could go anyway. That could be like a fun, quirky thing, or it could be just like, oh, this is for ambiance. We got a shot of some birds that's for right. a little bit of a, you know, we like to draw birds. Or it could be like, uh-huh, what kind of goofy fun thing? Or it could be like very sinister. Yeah. When who who would have thought that just like <laughs> a couple of side shots of a goose could fill you with such dread and such terror? I know it's your policy to never listen to the episode, but I put some ominous goose sounds oh, okay. whenever we got to those panels. No, I fantastic. Was I, lo- I love to hear that. That's great. I love some fantastic ominous goose sounds. And Braxton Harrington also said, two panels for a goose? Yeah, something's up. 
Lost in the Stories said, sorry, it's Lost in These Stories. Lost in These Stories is a book club member. They said, I love this book so much. I just read it for the first time a month or so ago. It's one of my most favorite books of all the Hellboy books. Yeah, I totally agree. I lo- It's definitely top tier for me of all the miniseries. We also heard from Hellboy's Lady on Instagram. <laughs> Hellboy's Lady. Book, book club, club member. member. Yeah, she said, I loved this comic. And we all knew that if there was going to be a second film to the remake of Hellboy that Koshki would have been in it because the ending credits scene with Baba Yaga. So yeah, that was the teaser at the end of that story. We didn't talk about that, but it's kind of like the little stinger at the end. She's trying yeah. to recruit someone to go after Hellboy, and it's obviously supposed to be Koshki. Right. Yeah, that would have been really cool mm-hmm. to incorporate that character. You know, you know, I find that interesting. There's uh, like, you know, that story, you know, where we see Hellboy and Koshki fight was the story that takes place before the one that they adapted into the film. It's like why didn't you adapt the darkness calls before you yeah i have a lot of questions about why they try to jam so much goddamn shit into one movie but i don't think any of those questions are ever going to be answered because it's a tale as old as time they always try to do this with every fucking movie we also heard from jason abaddon jason abaddon book club member book club member he said the scenes with Koshki and Hellboy in the Bar are perfect commission inspiration. Picture several other artists doing their take on the scene of characters Ooh. telling their stories that other artists made possible. I would love that's a perfect idea. Like, you know, hopefully when cons are available again <laughs> and I can go get a commission from somebody, I would love to ask them to draw the Koshki and Hellboy at the bar. Well, I wonder if um, we could, you know, maybe we could check some websites or social medias for artists who are currently taking commissions. Yeah, even if there's yeah. not cons, I mean, hey. There, with no cons going on, I'm sure that every once in a while they might open up commissions just to, you know, maybe sure do a little yeah, more what, extra work on the side or something. That's a good so, idea. Who knows? Yeah, like one of my employees, she does she does art at cons, and yeah. uh, she's taking commissions right now. Hey, so if there's... Well, her commission list might actually be full, but yeah. Yeah, so if there's an mm-hmm. artist that you're thinking about, hey, I wonder, if, check them out. Check out their social media, check out their website, and double check. Yes, please support your local artists. If you see someone whose art that you like, you know, um, send them a message. Ask them if they're taking commissions. Politely, or... please. Yes. Don't demand that they do it for Right. <laughs> they might not yeah. be actually taking commissions, so please politely and, and... request. And if and whenever they quote their price, don't freak out if you don't want to pay if it. If you can't afford it, just say, ah, oh, that's Move a little on. bit outside my budget right now, but thanks, I'll keep it in mind in the future. You'd not right. be entitled to any kind of discount. You don't know these people. And especially if you do know them. You especially aren't entitled to a discount. <laughs> especially if you know if you yeah. know them. Ryan Rollinson said Ryan Rollinson. Book club member. Book club member. He said, I always saw a parallel between Koshki and Hellboy, both struggling under an unstoppable power that they'd rather ignore that keeps pushing them where they don't necessarily want to go. Agree. For sure. Yeah. It's kind of fitting that he's kind of left in that weird cobbled together town in hell, you know, at the end of this series. I got such a... Just like Hellboy was. I got like kind of a weird, friendly, warm feeling though from Hellboy because it didn't seem like a bad negative thing. It did seem like... The nature of that place had changed from hell to a different thing. And it also right. seemed like, now you're going on a journey to find yourself, buddy. Good luck out there. You're going to be fine. Yeah, and it seemed yeah. very like, yeah. it ended on not a negative note when like right. the whole story had been horrific. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking horrible. And then at, at Felt like they tried to end it on something that was like eh, maybe a little bit of positive, it's a little bit of dash of hope in there. There you Who go. Knows? That was nice. Yeah, I just completely agree with you. Yeah, but I do see the parallels for sure. It's and I'm I'm sure that was probably intentional. Yeah, but yeah, it's good shit. 
when I did my comparisons from Darkness Calls and Koshki the Deathless, because there's a lot of like, you know, Ben Stenbeck redrawing uh, scenes that Fregredo drew. Yeah, fun. Uh, Ryan also said, Fregredo, Stenbeck, and Stewart, a stupendous trio of talent being reviewed by the stupendous trio of talent, the book club. I don't know about <laughs> the second half oh, of you, what Ryan. you said, but thank you. I don't know about that. We're just a, we're just some goofballs. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about comics, it's not that deep. And Otro Salvargas said. Otro Salvargas. Book club member. Book club member. Yeah, I think he's one of our new listeners. All right. He said, from the Ooh. two of them, I prefer Fagredo's art, but I love them both. Right on. Yeah, that's right valid. on. Absolutely. And I wanted to mention some things that I forgot to talk about. We haven't had this segment on the show in a while. Some things John forgot to talk about. Here he goes. He's going to talk about them now. <laughs> so last week I was editing the episode and I was talking about how Clayton Schofield. Clayton Schofield. Book club member. Book club member. He had bought some pages from Ben Stenbeck from that series. And I was like, and I'm going to point them out as we read them. And then I totally <laughs> forgot to do, do that. that and all. I didn't talk about them at all. <laughs> I was when I was editing the episode. I was like, "Damn it!" So anyway, um, but he did leave some additional feedback. He said the story being told from a barn hell is something that I found incredible, and I knew I needed a panel that showed the inside of the drunken limpet. The Baba Yaga yeah. losing her eye was also a bonus. So he has the scene where it's like um, it's recalling the Baba Yaga's get her, her eye getting shot out. All right. But it also has a panel where they're in the bar because they're talking about it. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that was really cool. And then he also had one of the pages with Vasilisa. He said, this page struck me like a beautiful sad goth song. The beautiful hillside, the butterflies, and then death. It was like a Joy Division song. And I also love that the violence is off panel and the blade cutting through all the flowers says it all. Yeah. Brilliant storytelling. You, for, you know, it, first of all, you don't want to see that shit. Second of all, it would not have actually had as much of an impact. We've talked about this so many times before, right, but sometimes yeah. that leaving it up to the reader's imagination thing can be so much worse. Oh, yeah. It's good he, shit. He finally said, I'm in awe of this story. Every page of it is beautiful. I do hope that Mike and Ben return to this character someday. Spoilers, I think we all want to know if he finds that goat or not. <laughs> I I would love like a just a just a splash page maybe hey maybe this is a, could be a cool commission for something. You know, Kashi it's implied that maybe Kashi has become a goat farmer. Oh yeah. And he's dressed very simply, no more warlord <laughs> shit. Like he still looks he still looks like a like a like Lemmy like but just lim- in farmer. Like well like a Lemmy Lobo. He's kinda halfway between like Lemmy and Lobo. <laughs> he looks like Hashi, except instead of like the warlord outfit, he's got like a very simple like, like farmer's outfit. Yeah, like, like a farmer's outfit. Overalls. He's got he's hanging out with his flock. He's got like his you know, his like little shepherd staff. Not a crook. But just a simple, like a straight staff. I don't like the crook. And you've got your oh, I sheep. Was, I was gonna say a pitchfork, so he can like you know work the farm with the hay and all that stuff. No, it's for the it's for the goats. So he's got his little staff. He's got his. He's hanging out with his goats. He's got a whole flock of goats. And maybe there's one goat in particular he's hanging out with. And it's nice. You yeah, know, it's a nice scene after all that <laughs> maybe, horrific maybe all shit. Of, maybe all of the goats are descended from his goat. Maybe they're all hanging out. Together they're all friends, and so maybe that's that would be that would be cool. That's a nice ending. He's an entire like goat farmer, and now he's got and, goat uh, friends. He's, so so all the demons are gone in hell, and now we have Kashki having a goat farm. Having down a there. fun I love, goat I farm. I love that idea. <laughs> yeah, one of them gets out of there. He's like, "Where are you going, you rascal?" And he goes to the drunken limp, and he's like, "All right." And they've got some. They make a good cornbread there, and that's. He's like, "Okay, I get you some." You know, it's fun. It's fun there now. It's not hell anymore. It's just like a goat farm. 
and a oh, bar okay. and a bunch of weird wibbledy wobbledy houses. There you go. <laughs> and it's just fun. Let's get that mini series. Let's get that. And uh, I remembered about Clayton Schofield's original art because Ryan Yule, Ryan Yule, book club member, book club member, he shared all these amazing pages. Of course, you knew that he had oh, yeah, for sure. some awesome pages from the series. And um, so some of the pages that he shared on our Facebook, I if you go check that out. he shares those pages. That's so nice of him, by the way. That's nice. It really is. And um, always remember, you know, you can go to our Facebook About section or you can go to our Podbean webpage. And I've actually linked Ryan's collection. So if you yeah. want to check out all the pages in there, although there is some spoilery stuff that we haven't gotten to right. yet. So watch out there. But he posted when they show Gamori looking up from the ruins of hell. And he's like, yeah. watch out. She's still down there. Okay. So he's got that page. He's got the page of Koshki in the paradise by himself when he turns around and Hellboy's not there anymore. Yeah, that's a wild he's got page. The, he's got a really good page there. Never stop looking for that goat where Hellboy's looking at him from the window of the house Jeez, or whatever. Yeah. He's got that page um, where Baba Yaga says, Peace, Koshki, and she's under the tree and all that kind of stuff with Jeez. all the birds and everything. He has yeah. that page and some of the Darkness Calls recaps. So, yeah, that was so awesome. And so, yeah, you can go check out all his original art collection on our links. Regarding our All Draculas All the Time segment, Christopher Egan said... <laughs> Christopher Egan. Book club member. That's right. He said, I meant to bring this up last week when it was mentioned, but the Francis Coppola Bram Stoker's Dracula is the only Dracula film I watch. I have seen many and only returned to that one. I own it, and I still watched it on Shudder this weekend. It is the most faithful adaptation of the book, and I just love the entire aesthetic. Keanu's accent and Winona's shaky but not terrible performance aside, I love the -the over-the-top earnestness of the acting, and all the in-camera effects are still incredible. Kudos to Coppola for not attempting CGI that was in its infancy. It would have aged terribly. Oh, and the casting of Tom Waits as Renfield? chef's kiss yeah for sure absolutely (laughs) and i don't even set any of that stuff aside i'm i'm (laughs) i'm one of those people that i sincerely love that stuff like not ironically not like dunking on it or anything i'm i love it i'm i'm all about it so yeah it's good shit yeah i i very much enjoy that film i mean you you know I know people like to harp on like Keanu Reeves' accents, but I, you know, it didn't bother me. <laughs> it's, it's bad and I love it. Yeah. It's yeah. bad and I, mean, I love it. Not in spite of it. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I was um I was online, god, I forget if I was on Instagram or what, and somebody had made a sculpt of the armor, the Dracula armor that oh, okay. that Gary Oldman okay. wears and nice. it's so awesome. I would love to have a figure of that. Gary Oldman that armor Dracula is armor? so cool. It's yeah. Very specific. It's really awesome. Yeah, I was just thinking about the designs in that in that movie. They're really great. Yeah, that was some very uh, Y'all want to spend your money on armor. some super specific stuff. <laughs> it's okay. It's just, you know, it's very specific. I would I would be surprised if that isn't a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's probably like somewhere because like I watch a lot of like Adam Savage tested videos and he talks about like he goes on to replica forums with people who make movie props all the time. So there's probably so many, a lot of different people with that armor. Yeah. Yeah. We also heard from Andrew Adair. Andrew Adair. Book club member. Book club member. He said, I'm loving the whole Bernie Wrightson part of the podcast. (laughs) There was a Frankenstein version in his early Swamp Thing work, The Patchwork Man. I just discovered you gosh darn guys, and I'm loving the podcast. And he posted a picture. Yeah, so in 
Bernie Wrightson's Swamp Thing work, there was like this patchwork man, and he yeah. is like a Frankenstein and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah, thank you for sharing that, Andrew. Right on. Oh, wow. That's exciting. Thank you. Responding to Aubrey's Danielle rant from last week. What was that? Wait, what? <laughs> Mark Tweedell said, aspect ratio is important. Sure, really yeah. <laughs> At work, the entire art room gets their hackles up when the image is cropped or stretched. Yeah, that's... Yeah. And I don't know if you guys remember this. Like, in the early days of uh, DVD, there was a setting you could do on your TV to set it to 16 by 9. But I knew people who did that on their old 4.3 TVs. And so instead of having the black bar, you have this stretched image on their oh, TV. And I'm like, that's, no. that's just as bad. Yeah. How can you watch this It's crap? worse. It's worse. <laughs> I think I have seen that. I think I know exactly what you're talking it's about. And that was back in the day. And people do this. People do this not just with digital screens and videos and digital images of artwork and anything people will do this with physical objects i that upsets me it upsets me when people want to uh for example (laughs) they want to trim a handmade print and the paper is handmade paper and it has a deckled edge and it is a completed signed and numbered uh actual handmade print and they're like trim the edges off of this wow and it's like hmm no, do not do that. <laughs> no. You suck. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's part Why? of the artwork itself. <laughs> yeah. It's so bad. And so anyway, people will do this and it and they're like, I want to jam it into this specific size frame. And it's just like, don't. Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> that, that would infuriate it's me so as well. It's so not <laughs> cool. It's uncool. Regarding our waffles versus pancakes discussion, mm-hmm. Mark Tweedell said... I taught myself how to make crepes when I was 13. Wow, that's impressive. I got that addicted. I got addicted and made them at least once every fortnight all the way through high school. It's not an addiction, but I think that's a very healthy relationship to crepes. I think that's okay. fine. Yeah. And Ross Radke also responded. Hey, Ross Radke. Book club member. Comic book, book artist extraordinaire. That's true. Incredible artist. Incredible artist. So yeah. the, the next uh, Kickstarter for Stomped is coming up on October 1st. That's right. Yeah, we'll have to have Ross back to talk about that. What does Ross Radke have for crepe talk? He said, it's been years since I made crepes myself. It's usually my go-to whenever we eat at one of those brunch with your grandparents sort of places. There's an amazing crepe place outside the convention center where Emerald City Comic Con is held. I missed out on my fancy crepe fix this year Ah. because it was canceled. Also, the huge pancake you described sounds like a German or Dutch baby pancake. Mm. My wife always orders those from Elmer's. Also, if I'm required to eat pancakes or waffles, I always put peanut butter on them. You can pass that along to Aubrey. It helps create a barrier between the syrup and the bread so it stays (laughs) fluffy. There you go. Pancake hacks from Ross Radke. Yeah, put some peanut butter. I guess, like, would Nutella work, too? Sure. That sounds good. How do all these people Uh, know how to make crepes? (laughs) Am I just really bad at making crepes? Because do I I don't know like do I just need more practice at this not it's see this is not even something I want to practice at it's not something that I want to learn I want other people uh, to make crepes for me and then I'll eat the crepes. Okay, so I, I just remembered this. The first time I ever heard or had crepes was when I was in high school in French class, and right. my French teacher was like, "Hey, crepes, we're gonna make some for French class." Wow! And I remember this girl, uh, and we were eating crepes with ice cream. How did this you girl, make the crepes in school? Did they give you hot plates? And was this high school? 
Yeah, it was high school. They did it in the cafeteria. Wow. That's impressive. I, don't I mean, they didn't do it. It wasn't for the whole school. It was just my class. But no, it's, class but in there. I remember but, uh, being in high school. Everyone was just little goblins. There's no way they would have let us near a stove. So that's that's oh, pretty no, cool. No, no, no. We, we didn't make them. The I see. Them. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, everything's coming into she, focus now. All and right. then she fed them to us. Right. But the one thing I remember I could about cook. that. I could cook, but I know that the there were a lot of people in the class that were like, I'm terrible. And so anyway, please continue. Oh, yeah, no. Sorry, no, that's okay. But the, the one thing I do remember about this whole thing is this, this one girl uh, in my class. And I remember she did a lot of weird, dumb stuff. Not like on purpose. She just accidents would happen. She broke her plastic fork eating the grape. Oh. I was just like. How did you do that? <laughs> yeah. I'm just not interested in investing all the time that would be necessary for me to learn how to make crepes. I'm sure that there are people who can learn how to do it just in one go. I'm not that kind of person. <laughs> I'm going to make a video of me I'll making crepes. I'll burn a hundred crepes. Do it. Yeah, yeah, no. Do it. Make a video of you making crepes. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to do man. that. I'm going to mess up the entire kitchen. Clayton Schofield also chimed in. <laughs> he said, I can't pick between pancakes and waffles. That's just impossible. So many kinds. One thing for sure, I will be having some crispy bacon on the side because pancakes or waffles without bacon is a sin. It's not a sin. Mm, some people don't eat meat. Babe. But I do respect the fact that hey, it's a thing that you like. There's there's also, uh, you know, fake, and, uh, fake bacon. There you go. Oh, yeah. That yeah. counts. All the different breakfast foods are valid. <laughs> All right. And now we're going to get into our book club episode for the week. Real book club episode. An actual, actual book club. <laughs> actual books. Actual books. This week we're reading Hellboy, The Bones of Giants. This is a Hellboy novel. It's based on the comic series by Mike Mignola, and it was published in November 2001. The book is written by Christopher Golden, who we've mentioned on the podcast a few times. He edited An Assortment of Horrors. That was the short story anthology that we covered two stories from. And he also has a co-writing credit on Hollow Earth, which was one of the first BPRD stories that was illustrated by Ryan Sook. This book also features illustrations throughout by Mignola. And there's a nice forward. In the forward, Mignola mentions Golden's books, Strangewood and Straight On Till Morning. And Mignola thanks Golden in the forward, along with Carrie Grazzini, who is the designer for Dark Horse. There's also a dedication. This was kind of charming. Golden writes that he often dedicates his books to his wife or his kids or colleagues, but that this one was inspired by the book. Thunder of the Gods by Dorothy Hosford. And it was a book that he read when he was a kid, and that this book is just for him. Aw. This, Min- one's, this one's for me. Yeah. Just for me. And yes. Mignola dedicates it to his pet rat, Admiral Dot, who tragically ended up in the freezer. Oh. Yikes. <laughs> include that. And um, I thought this was really cool, too. In the book, like, there's this very front page, and it says, from the library of, and then it has, like, a little space for that you to write cute. your name. I was actually going to mention that. That's adorable. And it's got, like, the Thor's hammer on cute. there. So I thought that was a really nice touch. I'll post a picture of that. Yeah. Oh, that's that's pretty awesome. I, yeah, uh, that's cute. I remember having books like that. I remember having book plates um, yeah. that I would put in books when I was a kid. Like, this book is, and I'd write my name in it. This is my book. Yeah. <laughs> so I read the book, but I also checked out the audiobook on Hoopla, which is the digital library, and the audiobook is read by Wayne Mitchell. Wayne Mitchell what? is an actor, writer, director, and Northern California native. He has appeared in various TV shows, including Angel, Crossing Jordan, Boston Legal, and Vegas. 
Since 2009, he has worked with IMN Creative, voicing television, movies, including Community, Animal Hospital, Plain House Satisfaction, The Houses That October Built, and The Fourth Kind. He's also in a feature film called Soul Dad that was released on iTunes, Amazon, and other digital platforms. And so, yeah, I enjoyed his reading of the book. What did you think of Wayne Mitchell? You also listened to the audio version, right, Aubrey? Yes, I actually got the audiobook off Audible myself because I'm a member and I had a free credit, so that's where I got mine. But I liked his narration because um, I listen to a lot of audiobooks and like sometimes the narrators can be a little flat. Right. Uh, but he is really good, and I love the way he did Hellboy's voice. I mean, it's not perfect, but I think I like that he did it, and I like how he also, you know, he Hellboy had his own voice, Abe had his own voice, and when the um, the characters from Sweden popped up, they had their act, they had that kind of Swedish accent. Yeah, their, uh, that was really cool. Yeah. You know, I was yeah. trying to, de- I was telling Danielle that I really loved the way that he did Hellboy. I thought it was very humorous. I was trying to figure out how to describe it. I felt like it was like a mix between the David Harbour version and like Fred Flintstone. <laughs> Would you agree with that, Aubrey? That is a good assessment. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. I'll see if I can put a little clip in there of it. But just like it was kind of a it made it humorous. It made it kind of goofy a little bit. And it really gave Hellboy a lot of character, which I really enjoyed. Jeez, Hellboy said, sighing. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. And so yeah. I, uh, I, I did not listen to um, any of the audiobook. I just straight up read the book. So, so who do you hear? What do you hear when you read Hellboy? That's the thing is, it's all it's all internal. That's what I like about it is that I don't have anyone um, outside of myself imbuing any of the characters with any characteristics. Which is, I mean, I I do have a lot of respect for voice actors. And I do, I mean, there's a lot of voice actors that I really like. And um, obviously just a lot of, you know, when you're making a movie or an animated, you know, show or anything like that, you're going to have actors portraying the parts and stuff. But I guess I, you know, I don't know. I just, um, when I read a book, I just read a book. And so that's, and obviously it's totally perfectly valid if you prefer audiobooks. That's totally fine. Obviously for whatever reason, that's completely fine. I just prefer, yeah, just straight up reading the book so that there's no, there's no external... Okay. influence on on any of that for me um so yeah i kind of uh i, I don't know how i would describe the way that i ha- right. have the internal voices I, going i think i know what you mean it's just um most of the time when i read stuff i don't really have a uh somebody else's voice in my head right on and that's totally but, like um, i said i mean you can any way you you want to prefer to uh consume the media? consume yeah imbibe this media, however uh-huh. you choose to, um, if, if you want to listen to it or if you want to read it or just whatever is fine. So, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of ways there's to consume of, it. Yeah. Weird, like, do whatever you like. About it. And so I just want to go ahead and be like, we don't care. Yeah. You're cool. So we open up with this prologue and it introduces us to this character, Jan Olaf. And the story also mentions several landmarks, including Lapland and the Gulf of Bothnia. And that would put Jan Olaf in Finland. He is a local fisherman, and he mostly fished the rivers, and for over 47 years, he's learned the trade from his father on all these, like, secret fishing locations. Though he was a Christian, Jan Olaf still respected his old gods in the homeland. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, The gods bless the river. It refers to the gods again. And then he's like, ah, smiles to himself, the gods And he says he was taught by his father that the gods were merely forgotten and not gone and should always be given respect. 
On one stormy night, he's out there fishing and he witnesses a bolt of lightning repeatedly strike the same location. And I really like how they describe that. Jan Olaf decides to investigate. And here I'm reading from the book. He says, when he opened his eyes, he had to blink several times as his vision adjusted to the darkness again. At last, he was able to peer down over the edge. The wide swath of the riverbank was dappled with snow and ice save for a scorched and blackened patch of ravaged earth. At its center lay a withered corpse larger than any man Jan Olaf had ever seen. Part of the hillside seemed to have given way, for there was rubble strewn about, and down there as well. Whether the desiccated thing had been thrown ashore by the river or torn out of the breast of the earth, he did not know, nor did his mind have space to consider such things just then. He stared at the wasted thing there on the river bank, at the iron weapon it clutched in its dead fingers. And we also get a great illustration from Mignola here yeah. of what that looks like. Yeah, really and so cool. I'm really glad they included that because Same. when I was listening to the audiobook, I was I just listened to it and then when I went and back and read the book, I was like, "Oh, yes, we get to see what it looks like." And that's the thing. So I was I was like, "Oh, this is going to be just like a book, but like there there are Mignola illustrations and at first I was thinking perhaps it's only going to be just at the beginning of each chapter like like it's typical if if there are any illustrations in books at all it's going to be like at the beginning of the chapter but then it's kind of sporadically dropped in there every once in a while you'll get like a page of it which is nice but I I did want to point out something you kind of skipped over which I thought well their thing is interesting right is we just finished talking about different ways that uh, different people perceive media you kind of skipped over a section that I paid almost the most attention to okay in this prologue, which was his eyes were wide and he had ceased breathing in that moment, simply forgotten how to draw breath. That is such a specific thing to experience. I oh, okay. love the way, just right up front, obviously, Christopher Golden. Yeah, awesome. yeah. I mean, I'm loving it. Um, Jan Olaf knelt in the snow on the ledge and stared at an ancient truth that numbed him more deeply than the frozen land ever could. Everything he knew was wrong. Right. Chilling. The way it's set up, though, like you can't just drop in and everything he knew was wrong and have it be impactful sure i think that the lead up to this was very purposeful and very you know um it's just good shit it's just good shit at the end of the prologue the lightning came again and this time when jan olaf closed his eyes he wept frightened tears for he was lost now lost in a world that was suddenly new to him and yet so incredibly old it really sets the tone for the story to have an impact. It puts you right into right. how you're supposed to. I love the way that he sets this up because he's thinking about like, hmm, how can I get the reader immediately invested in Thor, the God of Thunder? How can hmm. I make this a really scary, impactful thing for them when all they've really known so far is goofy Marvel Thor? Sure. <laughs> like maybe people aren't necessarily thinking about this as like, this was an actual pagan religion yeah. That people, A, followed in ancient times, and then B, still, there's still people who are following this now, currently, today. So it's something that I feel was such a good... Uh, the prologue is necessary. Yeah, it's to nice. To set up, like, why is this going to have an impact on us later? It sets it, it sets it up really nicely. And as we open up chapter one, we are introduced to Officer Bruckner of the Hollis, Virginia Police Department. He's <laughs> yeah, he's heard reports of something ugly, scary, big, and red in the Playtown Amusement Park. He's so thoroughly freaked out that when a limousine pulls up and Hellboy gets out, 
he like almost pees his pants, right? And there's a Literally long description. Literally says he nearly wet himself, yeah. Yeah, and there's a long description of Super him like slowly freaking out more and more as he sees Hellboy. But I, I think it's also like what they've described as the anomaly in the park is a big red ugly sure. thing and then he sees yeah. this thing and he's like oh that's the thing it's that like is a page and a half of this guy freaking out about to pee his pants right it's amazing and so he pulls his gun on hellboy as he approaches until the sergeant wilkie tells him to cut it out yeah damn it kid don't you ever read the papers he says it's that guy that hellboy I seriously, I was just like, how much longer is this freak out session going to go on? But it really sets the tone that, you know, it kind of skims over this every once in a while in the comic books of like, yeah, Hellboy, he's kind of weird. It's all right. And then everyone kind of moves on. Right. This is intense. This guy is like, he's like drawing his weapon with, he's just already like, also, I just want to go ahead and point out really quick because it's going to come back uh, his uh, taller than any man, flesh, dark crimson, like drying blood. Oh, right. That is one of the descriptors. Yeah. And then so after this event where this guy almost shoots him and all this kind of stuff, hey, Hellboy said, anyone seen a monster around here? Yeah. Right? Because he's I'm the man. That's good. Yeah. I'm not a monster. I'm looking for a monster. Hellboy investigates the amusement park and we learn that he finds them creepy. He's not a fan of roller coasters. And this little uh, illustration oh. we get in the corner here is cool because I imagine that that is like the angle. Oh, right, because he's so tall. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. it's good. I will have to uh, disagree with Hellboy. I love roller coasters. (laughs) Okay. Well, yeah, I like this little detail. It says that, like, Broom would, like, have the the amusement parks closed off and he would take Hellboy. Yeah. You know, a couple times when he was a kid. Yeah, I found that pretty interesting as well. That's pretty cool. I didn't really read it the same way. Uh, It says here, let's see. Not that he had a great deal of experience with them. Save for a couple trips Professor Broom had specially arranged for him when he was small. His only visits to amusement parks had been like this. Go and figure out what the hell was haunting and stalking the grounds and get the heck out. So he's he's been a couple times, but he didn't like it. Right, yeah. So Broom, well, Broom did try to be like, hey, let's close it down so no one else is around. And then you write it. That's not fun. <laughs> you know, kids are psyched to go to the amusement park because there's a bunch of other kids running around screaming. Right, yeah. And that's well, kind of the fun of it is you're running around screaming. There's a million people there. There's a million kids. It's kind of like the crowd of it is like, I personally am not a fan of like huge fucking crowds. So that sounds like a nightmare. But I gather that that is part of the experience for people who enjoy it is that it's like, hey, everyone's having a great time. So if you're just there with a guy who is your dad and it's just the two of you and you're going on these lonesome, lonely rides and they're all rickety and you're like, what's the point of this? This is weird. I don't understand this. I don't know. I kind of took it as a different, a little different. I think it's like, you know, when he mentions rickety, it's like, um, uh, I actually just kind of watched this little like YouTube documentary on, um, on Coney Island. And they talked about um, the start of Coney Island and how a lot of the roller coasters were kind of, in fact, rickety and uh not very safe by today's standards or even by 30 years ago standards and all that. and then, <laughs> well that's literally and then, what he's saying and then, but, but when i worked at but then so hellboy would have been a kid around that time yeah. when those things are right but around this time when he's exploring this thing you know i mean amusement parks have gotten a lot safer and all that and so i mean it's one thing to be on an, a, a ride that 
gives you a feeling of fright. Sure. And another thing to be on a ride that's actually going to kill you. Sure, absolutely. No, and so, yeah, he says here, you know, he wouldn't have ridden the thing even if there was a gun to his head. He's not fond of roller coasters. They're too rickety. So I'm sure yeah. that he's, like you said, his his experiences with them were probably like, no, this is not for me. Right. But I think but, a, uh, another part, another aspect of it is that most of his exposure to it is I'm here to work <laughs> and get beat up and it's spooky and weird. So I'm sure that part oh, yeah. of it is like, yeah, this sucks. I don't want to be here. I thought this was interesting. He says that amusement parks are apparently attractive to spirits, demons, and in one case, a woman with the head of a boar. Huh. He didn't like to think about that last one. And so, of course, I did look this up. There are various legends of pig-faced women that originated in Holland, England, and France in the late 1630s. The stories told of a wealthy woman whose body was of normal human appearance, but whose face was that of a pig. In the earliest forms of the story, the woman's pig-like appearance is the result of witchcraft. Following her wedding day... There's a lot of rudeness going on here. The pig-faced woman's new husband was granted with the choice of having her appear beautiful to him, but like a pig to others, or a pig to him and beautiful to others. When the husband told her that the choice was hers, the enchantment was broken, and her pig-like appearance vanished. That's baller. These stories became particularly popular in England and later in Ireland. But I I like this idea that amusement parks are like a haven for like spirits and ghosts and all the weird stuff to happen, right? Yeah. Some Scooby-Doo shit. And Golden does a great job of describing this amusement park. Um, reading from the book, of course, whatever was looking around here at Playtown, he didn't think it was a ghost. The reports that had come in referred to the tall creature, skeletally thin, with leathery red skin and long, shaggy hair. It was supposed to move in a kind of dance, arms windmilling around, and it scared the crap out of a bunch of kids. Hellboy wasn't particularly fond of the research part of the BPRD's name, but the Bureau had a guess as to the monster's ID within an hour. As Hellboy walks along the amusement park, he also notices that some of the rides have been split in half by these thick oak trees. So whatever this monster is, it's like making all these trees yeah. like rise up out of the ground. I like the idea of that. You and know? I, I love that I am reading something where the person writing it is very, very good at their job. Because it seems like such a basic thing when you say, hey, you should set up a thing beforehand, before then it'll pay off later. Right. But there's so often I will be reading something like, where'd that come from? That isn't, what? When it would have been so much more benefit. So like, I love that there's there's a little bit of that in here. It's kind of a little foreshadowing. That's nice. <laughs> I like that. And there's some great humor too. It reads, other than a couple of dropped ice cream cones, long ago melted to almost nothing, and a child's backpack with a colorful clown painted all over it, there was no sign of trouble here save for the intrusive tree. Hellboy glanced at the backpack again and shuddered. Clowns creeped him out. No one was that happy. It was unnatural. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And there's, there's, there's several mentions of, like, little kids had run screaming. So we're really focused on the fact that you know, there's something maybe specifically scaring children. Right. Oh, and there's this one part in here, too, where he's talking about the music from the Ferris wheel. <laughs> he says, as he walked towards the merry-go-round, its sweet carnival melody grew louder. It made him think of the ice cream man, of watching the ice cream man out the window and being forbidden to chase him. Aww. After the first time the BPRD had decided it would be better for all concerned, the late Professor Broom, who had raised Hellboy within the confines of the BPRD's facilities, had always been more willing to go and get something for him from the white truck, but it wasn't the same. Yeah. Aww. And that's such a specific yeah. 
memory, you know, that I think obviously not every kid, but but some kids have of like, ah, you hear the ice cream truck music, you run out there with your dollar, you know, or whatever, and you're excited. There's a little line at the ice cream truck, and so that's you know, that's, yeah. that's a fun little kid thing to do. And so when he caused the scene or whatever, I mean, that's it's comical, but it's also <laughs> kind of sad. Like there's. There's a lot of Hellboy's life. It's like, haha, that's funny, but it's also very sad. Yes. And so yeah. you, this is image of poor little Hellboy. He just wants some ice cream. He obviously freaked out the ice cream man or something. And so Professor Broom's like, I'll go get one for you. And he's like, yeah, that's not the same. Right. The excitement of running uh. out to the truck with all the other kids. It's, it's again, it's just kind of like, yeah, I'm here alone in an abandoned amusement park by myself. Fun. On the outtakes episode, there's a clip of you running out to try to get the ice cream. Remember when oh, it, yeah. and it drove by so fast? Yeah. And you, <laughs> super yeah, fast. I remember that. Speeding through the neighborhood at like 35 miles uh, an hour. Like, Turn the song off. What's it? Yeah. Turn the song off. No, but so uh, it's it's one of those things where it's like, it's again, we get a, an image of like, I guess I can't run after the ice cream truck like a little kid. I got to have someone go run out and give me an ice cream. Like, you could just give me an ice cream from the store. It's not right. the, you know, like that's, you know. Anyway, there's a uh, ice cream truck that uh, drives around through my neighborhood, and when I if it drives around when I'm out walking the dogs, Duncan goes nuts, <laughs> and he's just like barking at that thing. He's oh, like, no. "Stop that stunk!" As Hellboy investigates the carousel, reading from the book on the other side of the carousel, in the shadows beside another row of ripoff carnival games, a tall figure slipped forward. The moonlight glinted off its skin, red as reported, though much brighter than Hellboy's own, like a candy apple and just as sticky looking. It spun as it moved, hands swirling above it, hopping from one leg to the other in a kind of mad capering dance. Shaggy hair hung halfway down its back, but otherwise the thing was naked. It leaped upon the carousel and swung around the pole that jutted up from the back of the dolphin. The carousel quickly came around, happy music filling the air, and the thing stared at Hellboy as it swung past him. Its face was skeletal, yes, and thin. Its chin pointed cheekbones high and jutting from beneath its leathery skin. Hellboy shivered. The thing was pretty damn ugly. There's a little uh, illustration here. Yeah, we get some nice illustrations of this creature from Mignola. And I love this description. Hellboy rolls his eyes as the thing circles him. And so it's kind of like doing this dance around him. He's it's like, like waving right, his arms. Okay. And Hellboy's <laughs> like, I can see you, moron. Yeah. So it kind of talks about how... This thing is like, sometimes it's invisible to people, but we all know that Hellboy can see ghosts and he can yeah. see things that other people can't. Yeah, and so, uh, yeah, I also, I thought this, I like the little comical beats. Yeah. When the creature speaks, uh, speaks in a quick flurries of words in a language Hellboy quickly realized as an old dialect of Portuguese. So he figures that pretty much confirms the identity and says, uh, you're a K-Por, I guess. Yeah, and um, I did look this up. I think that this is just a, a creature that was created by Christopher Golden and Mignola for okay. this story. Um, but it's apparently this like Brazilian demon or it's some sort of thing that's conjured up. Hellboy couldn't speak the language, but he understood enough to get the gist of what the demon was saying. And so Hellboy's like, let me get this straight. These women raised a demon to scare their kids away from an amusement park, probably giving them years worth of nightmares hoping it would make them more interested in their homeland. So you wrecked some kitty rides and terrified the crap out of a whole bunch of other kids who aren't Brazilian and did not ask you to come here. And then the K-Por like bows in front of Hellboy. And well, he's does, like, a pir- <laughs> does a pirouette and then bows. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. I, uh, That's the stupidest thing I ever heard, very, yeah, Hellboy says. <laughs> very proud of themselves for doing this. I very much know that part where the, he pirouettes and bows is all like, oh, he's so proud of himself. Yeah. Well, he does give him a Wait, second where he's like, he well, you, you you did what you were supposed to do, but now leave. He's like, yeah, I, I guess you were just doing your job. They did call you, but you know, you got to go now. 
grab a brew and get some ravioli or something. Like get out, <laughs> you know, get out of here. In the audio book I was listening to, he kept calling it Kaipur. Oh, Kaipur. Well, and also there's a little accent on the O. So is it Kaipur? Yeah, probably. When the demon won't leave, you know, Hellboy has this one where he's like, okay, now we're going to do this the hard way. And so this is classic Hellboy. So k is like using that tree power. You know, he's like able to like grow these trees and they're like trying to get Hellboy. I was impressed with the description of this action because I don't know how I would describe someone magically growing a tree out from under right. me. Christopher Golden did a fantastic job of making this not clunky. Moving the action along and still giving me a very firm idea of what's happening. Yeah, a thick tree trunk shatters the pavement beneath Hellboy's hooves, shot up from the earth beneath him, knocked him backward, but already its branches spread and it grew up around him, lifting him off his feet. So he tries to step back out of the way, but it's too fast. Yeah. And that's, it's exciting action, but then when you think about like, hey, that takes a lot of skill to write something like that. Oh, yeah. Other than the whole, you know, scaring children and all that kind of shit, I kind of like the idea of somebody who just sprout a tree up yeah. super fast. I kinda, I'd, I'd be like, of, yeah. I'd be like, I'd be like, I don't have any kids, but uh, I need a tree in my backyard. You want to help out here? <laughs> <laughs> I do like the this power or whatever that it can that it can like use the branches to try to get people and wrap around and all this kind of stuff. And then the, there's also another cool detail that he's got like bark like skin. Yeah. And so wherever he has wounds from his fight with Hellboy, flower petals spread out over the injuries and that's heal cool. the bark skin. Yeah, that's dope. You know, he has this regenerative plant power yeah. or something like that. And see, you know, once again, why does it got to be a, a bad demon kind of thing? It's like, you got this cool power, you can heal yourself, <laughs> but why Why you got to go be scaring children, you know? Well, he was, I think he was summoned <laughs> specifically for that purpose, which I think there's some sort of like a magic weird thing there where he like has to do right, it. Or, right, I don't know. I, that's yeah. what I just assumed. And then k spit on Hellboy. Boo. All right, Hellboy said. That jaw is clenched. not on. Now I'm ticked. They had restored the lost spider scene to King Kong, and it was showing that night on cable. Hellboy could have been watching it with A back in their hotel room, if not for k ah. <laughs> I like that detail. He just wants to go watch the King yeah. Kong movie. Here's how Hellboy kind of deals with that. He gets this big metal piece from the bumper car thing. He breaks it off. There's all this like electricity. And then he kind of gets the monster with that. He uses electricity to defeat an enemy, you say. Could it be that he was using lightning? Okay. In yeah. a way. Yeah. You're absolutely right. With right. his right hand. We have uh, before in the past compared the right hand of doom to Thor's hammer, have we not? Of course, yeah. We have. Okay. And um, so this kind of finishes off the demon. He's able to burn him. We get this grisly scene of like him sizzling and popping and his eyes popping out and all this kind of stuff. Yikes. The demon's chest began to glow orange and gray flakes formed at the edge of that burning ember. At length, Hellboy shook his head in disgust and turned to go. Always got to be the hard way, he said. Right, like he tried to be like, come on, man, just get out of here. And so I like this. Then the cop comes back up to him. He's like, Hellboy, did you find anything in there? It's on fire. Probably want to call someone to put that out. (laughs) And so he goes over to the limousine and he goes inside and there's Tom Manning is in there. Okay. We haven't heard from director Manning in a long time, right? Right on. And I like this, that uh, he holds up his finger Like as he's talking on the phone, he's like, "Hold on, Hellboy, one second. That's not that's not rude. He's on the phone. He's like, "Hey, I'll be with you in a second." I I took it as just a very Tom Manning thing to be like, "I'm on a call. 
just to put up a finger. Amazing. I was also wondering when I, as I was reading this, like he he put Tom Manning here. Why is Tom Manning in the field? He's never in the field. Why is he in the field? And so I started thinking about that. Like, where's Kate? Wouldn't Kate, if anyone? I think this is before all that. Okay. I think this is like early. Well, exactly. So where are we in the timeline? But I guess I mean, is what I'm I mean, wondering. They're they're in D.C. for those Senate hearings. Okay. Oh, so that's why Manning. That's there. why he's there. Right. Okay. Thank you, Aubrey. Thank you. Yeah, for that. that's a good point. Perfect. So they br- they do bring up these Senate hearings that yeah. apparently Hellboy and Abe have to testify at. That's right. I totally yeah, but about Aubrey's that. totally right. They mention yeah, these great. Senate hearings. And um, as they're talking inside the limo, you know, Hellboy says, look, how long before we get back to the hotel? I'm going to have a heck of a time falling asleep with this testimony thing tomorrow. And then Manning's like, ah, well, we're going to Sweden. What the hell's in Sweden, Hellboy asks. Manning's features were grave, but there was a kind of awe in his voice. Even with all you've seen, even with what you are. I don't think you'd believe me if I told you. I like the bill. I like that we're setting this up to be a big fucking deal. Oh, yeah. I, I love the way that uh, Golden is setting that up. And and I like how this, oh, fir- yeah, me too. I like yeah. how this first chapter was just like, Hellboy's in the field doing something weird. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, I haven't read the rest of the book, so I don't know if it comes back around, but I feel like this this uh, interaction with K-Poor doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of the book. It's just kind of like catching Hellboy doing one of his Freak of the Week missions, you know, well, and then we're going to pull him into... This larger story. I, th- I do think it was well, cool that they they had him using the electricity to defeat. Oh yeah, that yeah, was pretty cool. yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. So go ahead, Ari. You going to say something? Uh, yeah, no. Th- so this this kind of like uh, first chapter here kind of reminded me a little bit, kind of like uh, the James Bond films where they have a little a little scene before the opening credits, and then it gets into the real story. Yeah, like so yeah. It's kind of like you know, it's like a one-off adventure, or you know, even if this like if this were a comic, it'd probably just be a one-shot. Right. Well, right. So I think it's also like, what if this is the first time you've ever even heard of Hellboy? Oh, okay. And you don't know what it is. You're like, I'm picking this book up. What's a Hellboy? What's sure. that about? And so like the whole scene with the co- like, why is this in here? But then I'm like, okay, what if I don't know who Hellboy is? Sure, is a big scary red demon. People don't like him, but he's a good guy. It's a surprise. He's he's a good guy, and he's going to fight the guy that sure. he's there to fight. So, you know, you got to have a little bit of that. Chapter 2 opens up at the Fitzgerald Grand Hotel outside of Washington, D.C. I couldn't find a reference to this hotel, although there is a Fitzpatrick Hotel in Washington, Georgia. Probably a stretch. And Abe is chilling in his hotel room there. He's listening to... Ten Summoner's Tales, the fourth solo album by English rock musician Sting. The title is a combined pun of his family name Summer and a character in Geoffrey Chaucer's The Canterbury Tales, The Summoner. Released in 1993, it explores the themes of love and morality in a noticeably upbeat mood compared to his other albums. Ava's listening to Ten Summoner's Tales by Sting on his CD player in his hotel room. While he is reading the streets of Laredo. This is a very specific setup sure, that yeah. we have that Ava's listening to this CD. Some of the singles from that album are If I Ever Lose My Faith in You and Fields of Gold. And I think uh, this isn't so oh, much a single, okay. but I the song <laughs> Seven Days is also okay. a, a you recommend somewhat that one? Reco- No, it's a somewhat recognizable song okay. <laughs> from that album. And 
Streets of Laredo. The book that he's reading is a 1993 Western novel by American writer Larry McMurdy. It is the second book published in the Lonesome Dove series, but the fourth and final chronologically. It was adapted into a television miniseries in 1995. I just have to say, I just, <laughs> my mom loves Sting and and the police and all that, and she would play a bunch of that. Uh, in the house or whatever growing up and she loves lonesome dove okay <laughs> she fucking loves lonesome dove so like my my dad also loves lonesome dove <laughs> does he love sting no i feel like my mom would get along great with abe and they should hang out <laughs> the and i love this description of him falling asleep while he's reading uh golden does a great job of this the book kept sagging in his hands his chin bobbing onto his chest every few minutes or so go to bed you need he to has, go to bed he has read the uh, same paragraph several times go to bed yeah, i know exactly I, what that's like yeah i know that feeling all too well <laughs> i love you christopher golden but i do not believe for a second that abe sapien would be the kind of person to dog ear a page in a book. Oh. <laughs> he uses bookmarks, and we all know it. And he keeps the bookmarks whoa, 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 in great whoa. condition. Wait, wait, hold on a second. He's reading like a trashy paperback novel. I think that A would definitely fold that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not his library back at the Maybe bureau. Maybe not the okay. hardbacks, though. Maybe not the hardbacks. A, a paperback, sure. Maybe not a hardback book. And Abe wonders why Manning brought him. No way the Congressional Committee was going to pay attention to what he had to tell them when even in their internal correspondence they had referred to him as that fish guy. Idiots, Abe thought. Fish guy? Don't they even read their own files? He felt thirsty suddenly and wandered to the mini bar. Still preoccupied, he opened it and glanced within. Four dollars Sprite and Coke $2 candy bars, macadamia nuts, cookies, and trail mix. These are I like cheap. This. These are cheap Compared snacks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Comparatively speaking, right? Yeah. Wait, hold on. What year was this written? Uh, 2001. Uh, so, so, yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. there you go. But I, I, I absolutely 100% believe that Abe would be a macadamia nuts kind of guy. <laughs> I like just the idea of him looking at the minibar like, hmm. I don't necessarily know that he would drink Sprite. He strikes me as a hydro homie. <laughs> I feel like he'd be a water guy. And it also mentions that he's a fan of the Red Sox, which I thought was interesting. It says that... Um, it's funny that it's because he was like, oh, there's a curse? A, yeah. legend, <laughs> a legendary curse? Oh, I must research this legendary curse on this. That's interesting. Like, that's hilarious. And so he's referring to well, the curse of the Bambino, which was a superstition sports curse evolving from the failure of Major League Baseball team, the Boston Red Sox, to win the World Series in the 86-year period from 1918 to 2004. While some fans took the curse seriously, most use it as an expression in a tongue-in-cheek manner. Mm -hmm. Although, in, in the Hellboy universe, or in the Mignolaverse, it could have actually be a real curse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is so awesome. Yeah, it's yes, great. Yes, totally. God, I want to see I want to see them incorporate that somewhere. That would be amazing. Thank you for bringing that up, Aubrey. That's so clever. And so Hellboy comes in, and he's all beaten up. You know what I mean? He just has this interaction. His coat's all torn. He sees Abe there with the macadamia nuts. And <laughs> I love this part where he's like, he offers some to Hellboy, and he says, nah, macadamias don't have any flavor they're like those stupid white things they put in chinese food what do you call them water chestnuts might okay. as well be tofu listen water chestnuts first <laughs> of all have a distinct flavor even if your palate is not sensitive enough to taste it that is fine however water chestnuts are often added to dishes to add texture and not necessarily flavor okay. and absorb the flavor of the food that they are in so 
Uh, sorry that you don't like texture in your Chinese food. It's awesome, though. I was going to say basically the exact same oh, thing. Oh, sorry. Danielle. I didn't mean to cut you off, Aubrey. No, no, no. no I'm no, sorry. No. I just want to tell you, I completely agree with you. Water chestnuts are wonderful in Chinese food. They're crunchy. They, they add that. They add that little crunch yeah. of texture to your food. My mom likes to put it in this uh, rice and mushroom dish. Oh, it's good. Ah, yeah. that sounds great. And I love this moment because Abe's like, it says he considers putting the nuts back instead. He opens them defiantly. Yeah. Idly, he scooped out a few of them and tossed them in his mouth. They were sort of chewy, maybe a little stale. And truth be told, they didn't have very much flavor. But he wasn't going to tell Hellboy that. <laughs> Now, when it comes to macadamia nuts, I have no strong opinions of them, but I do like macadamia nut cookies. Oh, okay. Right on. It sounds like water chestnuts and macadamias both need, like, something to supplement it. Yeah? Okay. Mm, Probably. (laughs) That's a conclusion that I'm drawing from this conversation. I've I've never eaten a water chestnut by itself, so I have no idea. Well, sure. No, they're meant to be an inclusion in a a dish. They They add some texture. So, Hellboy's like, you want to watch a movie, but... Abe can tell that something is going on with Hellboy, and he's like, what? I asked if you want to watch a movie. Abe glared at him, the gills on his neck fluttering. What? Hellboy asked innocently. You tell me, did the boogeyman turn out to be an attractive hell girl or something? Uh. And Hellboy's like, oh, with that attitude, I'll go by myself. Go where? Sweden. And so I just love this moment, too, because it's like, they know each other so well. They're 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 friends. You know what I mean? Like they're yeah. buddies, and they can tell that something's on the yeah. other one's mind. Hellboy's trying to distract Abe by wanting to watch a movie, but Abe knows that there's something else going on I with him. I feel like part of that though is baiting Abe. Oh, okay. By doing that, <laughs> so Abe's gonna be like, "Come on, no, wait a minute," because there's actually this little part here. Something in his tone alerted Abe, who studied his best friend with his hard, angular features and dark red skin. Most people did not notice when he smiled. When he smirked, as he did now, only a few people in the world would have recognized the facial expression for what it was. Yeah. And we are meant to surmise that Abe definitely recognizes this and is like, all right, you're holding out on me. And I like that. Like, ah. I like I like these little moments. Yeah, these character great. moments are really shit. nice. And part of oh. me at this moment was like, why can't this just be, can I have some sequential art? To, why am I reading a book? But then, because <laughs> I just love, you know, obviously. Yeah. But then also at, at the same time, it was kind of interesting to have all this be in my head, you know, like you read books. Of course. So that's, you know, I had to kind of, there was a little bit of a transition here where I was like, okay, all right, I'll go with it. Yeah, no, I mean, I actually had that thought too. It was like, why, why is it a book and not a comic? But then again, it is a book. And so you get kind of those descriptors that you wouldn't get in a yeah, comic. Yeah. But I do want to add that, man, this just kind of reminds me that I really want more just comic books with Hellboy and Abe. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, it's like it started off together and then they split apart. And yeah. I, know, I know for everybody else it was yeah. like like a decade. But for me, it was like five episodes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, yeah. I mean, for you and me, you know, we were reading this just kind of all at once. And, and we didn't necessarily have to wait Yeah. Um, like everybody else. So that is interesting. And when Hellboy mentions Sweden, Abe's immediately like, I don't want to go to Sweden. It's too cold. I was playing chess with Kate, and I'm still rearranging all my books. And Hellboy says, Kate doesn't even like chess, and his books can wait. And Abe picks up his book and his macadamia nuts again. Kate loves chess, he says. Not what she said, (laughs) Hellboy replied calmly. Only because she doesn't like to lose. Abe. The amphibian glanced up from his book with a sigh. I don't want to go to Sweden. Remember our last trip to Scandinavia? Hellboy nodded, of course, but there aren't going to be any lunatic shape-shifting seals this trip. 
How do you know, Avas? Uh. And so um, I'm, I think they might be referring to Selkies or Selkie folk, meaning seal folk. These are mythological okay. beings capable of changing from seal to human form by shedding their skin. They are found in folktales and mythology originating in the Northern Isles of Scotland. Mm. Yeah, so there's some... Uh, I, I like that they are incorporating all these different like sure. um, myths into the story. Although I don't know why uh, Selkies would be all the way over there in Scandinavia, but hey. I like the whole, the final grasp at baiting Abe where he's like, yeah, I just figured you'd be glad you'd have to testify in front of the committee tomorrow. They weren't seals. Whatever. I don't like the cold. All right. It's a very, it's almost Mulder and Scully. Yeah. It's yeah. so close to Mulder and Scully. Mulder, I don't want, come on. Are you serious? And he's just like, all right, well, I got, uh, you know, it's a free trip to Dallas or whatever. Yeah. Like he's doing his thing and then she's doing the thing. It's very camaraderie. You're meant to take it as they know each other very well. And it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. I like it a lot. Hellboy says, you know, I heard Swedish chicks dig fish guys. It's a well-known fact. Ugh. Abe rolled his eyes, closed his book, and stared at Hellboy. Pick a movie. And so the movie conversation <laughs> is very clearly like a yeah. um, a parallel to this going to Scandinavia conversation, which is very clever and adorable. I love it. We cut to Stockholm, Sweden. Hellboy and Abe, they went ahead and went, right, on the trip. And they're greeted by some Swedish government guys. Um, the one who has probably been assigned to be their liaison is Frederick Klar. And so we'll come back to that character a little bit more. Yeah, this guy. They also mention Lulia. This is a coastal city in Swedish Lapland. It is known for its Gamelstad church town, a cluster of well-preserved wooden houses, and stone church from the 1400s. Beautiful so description. Cool. Yeah. I love to you know have that... Uh in my mind while I picture this while they're while they're here. I also like how Hellboy describes Frederick Clark. He wore thick rimless eyeglasses and had his blonde hair cut short and swept back in a style. It struck Hellboy as just a little too Aryan for comfort. <laughs> yeah. They also talk about Trevor Broom a little bit. Hellboy knew he disappointed the man time after time with his lack of enthusiasm for study, Aww. but he remembered a little of what he learned of Norse mythology. When he gazed up at the sky, it seemed to him no wonder that the Scandinavian people imagined their gods so much a part of their world. Far away in Asgard, yes, but also so very close. This is very sweet how he's there and he's kind of connecting to that place in this way. And I... um. I really, I really dig that. I think that's really interesting. And it's it's no wonder, you know, that as a child, he's like, yeah, I learned a little bit about Norse mythologies because it's fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. It's when we were, as hell. when I was researching this, you were like showing me all your Norse mythology books. I get that a lot of different types of, yeah. yeah, and that's one of them that I have. I was checking those on out. The bookshelf there. Awesome. Yeah. So they go onto this naval vessel going towards the Gulf of Bothnia, and that was where that prologue scene took place. So it says here, uh, Abe went over to the stateroom, still wearing his thick wool sweater he had donned as soon as they got off the plane in Stockholm. Sweater Abe, this is where he's got sweater the sweater. Yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. But this time at least it's functional. Yeah. <laughs> and so there is kind of this recurring theme of Abe is really cold, you know. Yeah. And the cold is affecting I him. I do feel bad for him because I am, you know, similarly affected. I'm affected by the cold and I'm affected by the heat. I just can't fucking exist in any temperature. So the next morning, Clark roused both of them and they get into this truck. Abe glared balefully at the gear in the back of the truck. 
Then he sighed and climbed into the back seat. Hellboy lifted himself up into the passenger seat, and the truck rocked under his weight. Clar sat patiently behind the wheel as he strapped himself in. Hellboy glanced at him. Okay, let's go. Mush. A sort of scowl flickered across Clar's face. Mush, he asked. The faster we go, the sooner we come back, Hellboy replied. <laughs> that is rude. That's a bit rude. And so he turns around and he looks at Abe, and Abe's already going to sleep back there. Great, Hellboy thought with a sidelong glance at Clar. It looked like the ride was going to be packed with scintillating conversation. You don't have to talk to the guy. Just chill. Yeah. Hellboy's, Hellboy's being a little bit aggro here. <laughs> so at Finland, they get to the site of the Discovery, and we meet Carl Aronson. He's inspecting the site of the Discovery, although they can't take pictures or collect samples due to the bad weather. And they also mention the lightning. Mm-hmm. Though the frequency of the lightning strikes had slowed dramatically, even in the time since Carl and his team had arrived, its target was constant. He was certain there was a scientific explanation, some sort of circuit that had been formed between the electrical activity in the atmosphere and the weapon clutched in the fingers of that corpse. But that was not his field. <laughs> so I like this idea that they're trying to like inspect it, but lightning keeps hitting the thing yeah. like every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. The team had to wear earplugs. It's super the- loud, yeah. Aronson calls the weapon in the skeleton's hands the most effective lightning rod in the world. Again, we get the exact same. And it's interesting because it's not a similar description. It is the exact same description. Car- uh, Carl stares at Hellboy and says he has the skin the color of drying blood. So that's literally... It's not a similar description. It's the same description. Right. Skin the color of drying blood. And I wondered, you know, uh, Christopher Golden's a good writer. Yeah. You know, I wondered, was that just like, did the editor not catch that? Or is that a specifically, did he want two people in two completely separate countries? Hmm. Two separate people in two separate countries thinking the exact same sentence about Hellboy? Yeah. So that's interesting. That so is I wonder, interesting. I mean, this is, we're just the first couple of chapters in. Maybe there's something that's like, this is a purposeful thing so um yeah i thought that was interesting that he chose the exact same descriptor yeah i thought that i you know i didn't really notice that until you brought it up actually yeah i and honestly i didn't catch it either yeah sorry (laughs) no i mean nobody i'm just it's just something that's that struck me as uh as interesting and as hellboy and abe approach the scientists i like this moment he's like are you the american scientists the wind lessened and the two in front were perhaps 10 feet away. Carl stared at them, eyes wide behind the lenses of his goggles. The huge one had skin the color of drying blood and a long red tail thrust out behind him, swaying in the air. His enormous right hand seemed carved from stone. The other had green reptilian flesh and thin inhuman lips and he shivered with the cold. Not exactly, the red man said, but we're the closest you're going to get. <laughs> Are you the American scientist? I thought that was great, yeah. Uh... I like the idea of Abe and Hellboy being scientists. I can imagine them in lab coats and you know, <laughs> pouring stuff into beakers. I don't you know, know if Hellboy would make all like, scientists. Just be all like, we like science. Kind of like, you know, they used to yell on Mythbusters. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Hellboy is great at smashing stuff, but uh, I don't know. I don't know about the rest of it. And, uh, and I do like this descriptor. It says that Professor Aronson, we learned that he's from the Stockholm University he stares at them like he had forgotten for a moment what he was doing in the first place. <laughs> but then he smiles and he's like, oh, you're Hellboy. I've heard of you. He's a celebrity, Abe says dryly. I love it. He's a celebrity. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. 
see. Hellboy holds out his left hand, obviously, for him to shake. Right. He shakes it. It's it's a pleasure. So he's being perfectly polite and very pleasant. So they go down there and they inspect the Discovery. And Abe's like, a long lost brother, you think? Hellboy frowned and shot him a dark look. And then he dropped off the ledge to the land to land with a crunch of snow and earth on the river bank. There's a, there's a part somewhere in here where Hellboy's uh, unsteady on the snow and he has to get like a firmer grip on the snow with his uh hooves right and that's that's just very i i I like all the super descriptive uh tactile things sure that he puts in there so am i to understand that no one explained to you what we have found professor aronson asked as the snow whipped around them great job huh hellboy asked actually the bureau usually provides its field operatives with boatloads of research but in this case the boss decided we would have a more objective investigation if we went in blind that's that's another thing about the first little adventure he had is that um, we, he was like, yeah, the research guys told me this and that and the other, and I had I confirmed once I was in the field that that is exactly oh, what it yeah, was yeah. by my deductions, and so we got kind of an example of how things are usually supposed to go, and then now this is the well, this is kind of a weird one. I don't know. They didn't really tell me anything, right? And so that kind of is supposed to maybe give us a sense of unease. We're 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 starting if Hellboy is starting off on, on a uneven footing literally and figuratively then we the reader are also kind of meant to be a little bit shaken by this i also have a feeling that um you know manning you know manning he's like i i you wouldn't believe me if i told you what it was so i'm not going to tell you i feel like kate would be like holy shit you're not going to believe this they think they found thor yeah (laughs) yeah no for sure hellboy's like so what is it again manning won't tell me she's like oh it's fucking thor it's gonna be great so so maybe maybe there's more more reasons why Kate's the one in charge now. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And when Hellboy sees it, he's like, "Objective? Who the hell could see this thing and be objective?" Right. He glanced over at Abe, who no longer looked bored, irked, or even cold. They stood perhaps half a f- half a dozen feet from the corpse, and now Hellboy moved closer. I'm sorry, you're you're again. This is so funny. Like the the part that really impacted me is kind of the part that you sort of skipped over. He goes. Who could be objective about this thing? And he goes, yeah, if it's real, I guess I would agree with you. And he's like, oh, you're doubting its authenticity. Abe is kind of like, oh, you're doubting it. And he freezes. The professor stops and he goes, yeah, like, how could it be what it appears to be? Do you realize what that would mean? Right. Again, that kind of strikes me as like a very, you know, he he, he puts these moments in of like the the, in the prologue, everything he knew was wrong all of a sudden. And we kind of get this feeling from the professor of like, do you understand? Do you realize what that would mean? The 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 consequence of of you even thinking that is it has a lot of weight to it. And so the reader is meant to be like, "Oh, I like I dig that." They inspected it and it says wispy remnants of the dead thing's hair and beard moved with the wind. Around its neck was, a, was an enormous bronze pendant fashioned in the shape of a cruel-looking serpent. The size of the cadaver, its obvious age, that bronze pendant None of it would have stirred within Hellboy a fraction of the fascination he had felt at that moment were it not for the weapon in its right hand. Gnarled, dead fingers had clutched at its at its haft for forgotten millennia. Hellboy crouched to get a better look at it, though the handle was short. The head had many the head was many si- sorry. The head was many times the size of a sledgehammer. So short handle, gigantic hammer. I mean it's fucking Mjolnir. Right. Like, he also says there's a symbolic engraving, twin lines that turned outward, 
and curled in upon themselves. The hammer was not squared, but came to a sort of peak at the top and had protrusions on either end that would likely have made it more deadly. Has anyone tried to lift it, Abe asks? You mean, have we tried to remove it? That is not what he said. Right. He asked if you could lift it. Hellboy's like, that. he thinks to himself, yeah, that's not the question. But he could tell from the man's tongue that the professor knew exactly what Abe was asking. Right. So yeah. he avoids the fucking question. It's so great. I love it. You couldn't lift it, Hellboy asks, his back to Abe and the professor, blocking their view of what he was doing. Actually, we only tried to lever it out of position to see if, well, to see if it could be moved. It could not. It might as well have been rooted to the ground. Of course, no one tried to lift it by hand because of the lightning. And then Hellboy stands up, and he's holding the hammer already uh-huh, in his hand. Oh, man. And with, I really, with his right hand, obviously. Right. Okay. So, yeah, there is that moment where he's going to pick it up with his left hand, and then he hesitates, and then he gets it with his right I hand. I wonder what that is, because I feel like even instinctually, he probably would have reached for it with his right hand. But I don't know. Maybe that's just to meant to like highlight the fact that, oh, he's using the right hand. Everybody watch out. I don't know. Right. Um, and I do like this. It says that... He expected the fingers to snap and fall to dust, but instead they opened like petals of a flower. Interesting. That's a great descriptor right there. That is. If the hammer was real, then the dead guy would be too, and that was just too wild to even think about, no matter what Hellboy had said to Professor Aronson. And so I like this moment because, like, Abe starts to, like, go towards Hellboy. Like, he's clearly impressed that Hellboy was able to yeah, lift it. Yeah, it says here he's fascinated that Hellboy could lift the hammer. But then Aronson's, like, he has the opposite yeah. re- reaction. He starts stepping away, and he shields his eyes. He's like, no, don't. And then there's this great panel, uh, full-page picture by Mignola. And it's very minimal, too, but you get the impact oh, that it. the lightning yeah. is coming down and striking the hammer with Hellboy holding it. A blaze of lightning arced from the sky, its brightness searing his eyes. The air was filled with the acrid burning stench of the electrical fire. It struck the hammer and the charge passed through Hellboy, paralyzed him, sizzled through his body. He felt the hair at the nape of his neck stand up, and his teeth clamped painfully together. Through those clenched teeth, he roared in anguish as the handle of the warhammer fused to his hand. Jeez. All right. Yeah. Intense. As we open up chapter three, we get some classic Norse mythology here, right? It starts right? off with something straight out of uh, Ragnarok. Yeah. We, it is Ragnarok. Yeah. <laughs> we get the retelling of the events. Um, so what it's talking about here is Hemdal raising the Yala horn into the air and blowing deep into it. The world tree Yggdrasil shudders and groans. The Midgard serpent Jormungand furiously rise, causing waves to crash. It also mentions the Aesir... Those are the gods in the principal pantheon of Norse religion. They include Odin, Frigg, Thor, Baldur, and Tyr. They also mention the Einherjar, Old Norse, literally, army of one. I'm probably saying that wrong. Um, And those are like the Valkyries. He also mentions the Nidavillim, that's the dwarf army, and the Svartovs. And those are the North European fairy craftsmen. So are those like the elves and the giants? So those are all the all the different uh, major characters in Norse mythology have come together to fight this thing, the, you know. The Svartolves, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so this is all of this is just describing uh, a bunch of stuff that happens in uh, Ragnarok. Yeah, according to the Prose Edda, Odin took Loki's three children, the wolf Fenrir, Hel, and Jormungur, and tossed them into the great ocean that circles Midgard. The serpent grew so large that it was able to surround the earth and grasp its own tail. As a result, it received the name of the Midgard serpent, or world serpent. 
When it releases its tail, Ragnarok will begin. Jormunder's arch enemy is the Thunder God Thor, and the World Serpent is an example of an Ouroboros. The gods then do battle with the invaders. Odin is swallowed whole and alive by the wolf Fenrir. The serpent Jormunder opens its gaping maw, yawning widely into the air, and is met in combat by Thor. Thor furiously fights the serpent, defeating it, but Thor is only able to take nine steps afterward before collapsing. And so all this is kind of like, um, we get this great battle here. And so I just wanted to kind of illustrate that Golden and Mignola are taking the actual aspects of the Norse mythology and of the Ragnarok fight. You know, they talk about Vigrid. That's the field where Ragnarok takes place. And Vigrid was also what they called the killing grounds or whatever the fields in Storm and the Fury where they had their big battle too. So Mm -hmm. there's like some parallels there. And um, it's pretty gruesome, right? Like they talk about Thor pulling himself up off the teeth yeah he does a great job of actually really uh illustrating this in a very uh alliterative way you know he he does a great job of really putting this in your mind's eye and i really like um on the illustration that we saw of the dead body you know he had i was like what is that a seahorse or something like that no it's but the, it, yeah <laughs> it's the world serpent yeah. and like he had and so here you can kind of see in this depiction of thor with the hammer you can see that he wears that around his neck and that's all um, part of the that's all part of the Norse mythology. Seems like I didn't actually have the physical copy of the book with me, and I didn't read anything about this beforehand. Up until we got to this chapter, I'm all like, "Is this supposed to be Thor? Is that what they're hinting at?" And then it gets closer <laughs> and closer and closer, and it's like, "Well, maybe it's going to be Thor." Turn to chapter three. I was like, "Oh, it's fucking Thor." Yeah, love it. I mean, I love it. It's great. It's wonderful. But I mean, I was just like, because I, you know. Uh, audio audiobooks don't come with the back of the book description and all that kind of thing sure. and so you know you just kind of start listening to it and i didn't read the description of it when i downloaded it because i was just like well i'm already gonna buy it why do i need to read anything about it but so it's like you know it's like going into it blind and you're like "Ooh, where are they going with this are they going to be thor oh my <laughs> god it is thor i love it yeah it's super good i think uh you know the the little, the little prologue that we got with all the the lightning and everything and then the uh when they come and like ah yeah don't you know what it is we're going to scandinavia and oh there's a lot of lightning there and they Sweet. found a thing it's gonna be and then of course as soon as i started describing this hammer i'm like okay it's fucking thor this is dope i'm excited well no i was thinking that same way too but yeah. then all of a sudden i was like is it is it is it and then the chapter bam. they immediately yes, start off is. with all this stuff and you're like it's, it's like nice. they don't want to say nice. it you yeah. know i really like that they kind of take their time with it or yeah. they don't address it like nobody wants to address it so yeah. the author doesn't either exactly no, it's know? better yeah it's good also i i want to bring up the fact that like you know you sent me those images of the different stuff i like that they spell mjolnir with two l's oh okay is that different from the marvel version (laughs) yeah marvel only has one l Ah. oh really that's interesting i didn't know that yeah well golden he did write in his forward that he was fascinated by this book thunder of the gods which is all about this stuff so i think he had like you know had a really early interest in like the true norse mythology without the Comics. No, that's what I'm saying yeah. is I didn't actually yeah. know that, that what Aubrey's saying, that the comics spell it a different way, apparently. That's interesting. Yeah, and so I didn't know this. I thought this was interesting that he, like, takes nine steps backwards. That's even in the mythology, and they make sure to, like, describe it here, yeah, too. Yeah, it's representative of the nine worlds. Ah, yeah. okay, cool. And so all this happens, you know, Thor is fighting the world serpent, and then... They both die. And it kind of reminded me, I couldn't help but think of Makoma. So you remember Makoma? He was like fighting the Ogdra Jihad. He had a hammer. 
when he died, yep. mm-hmm. uh, when Hellboy died, they both hit each other at the same time and died, and then he turned into a man holding a hammer. Yeah. So, like, yeah. that, I couldn't help but think of that, too. I may have gotten this from Marvel Comics, so I'm sorry if this is where it's from. But I have heard that, like, you know, the Norse gods are, like, this. the Ragnarok happens, everybody dies, and then they're reborn. Yeah. yeah. Yes, that is the thing that happens. That's exactly what happened in that story, too. So, so like, it's like, you know, Makoma could have been the basis of the beginning of the legend of the Norse mythology. Oh, I mean, yeah. Uh, only in the Hellboy universe. In right. real life, we know that's not true. But, um, you know, because, you know, it, it is a similar thing. And so maybe that's where it died and then he was reborn. And, you know. There's um, a whole thing that starts over again. And what's interesting is we, yeah. we actually see that in the Hellboy universe is like mm-hmm. it's the universe kind of is expanding and contracting and forever the, the, this world is destroyed, but a new one is born from it. And literally, there was a fucking world tree. Literally. So it's kind of like... Yeah. It's the same shit. Well, and, and Hellboy fought Nimue. Yeah. And she was a giant serpent thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I also yeah, think of yeah. like, his dragons as being yeah. a serpent. And uh, uh, Rasputin's uh, whole plan was called Ragnarok. Yeah. Yeah. So when you have so many different alliterative references and stuff like that like the world tree and, and ragnarok and all those sorts of things it's um you can't help but, but put those together in your mind and i think it's really cool that they've brought it together on the page as well that's neat i do like that they're getting to explore this very on the nose thing it's almost kind of like oh well like a what if so i do kind of like that it's in this format the further i go into it because at first i'm like ah why can't it be a graphic novel and then yeah. the, the further we get into it i'm like okay so this is kind of a little bit of an alternate because it's almost, you know, all the graphic novels are almost allude to, like, it's almost a parallel. You know, we have the end of the world dragon, and then they literally call it Ragnarok. And then so it's kind of, you know what I mean? Like, he's in hell, he's fighting, his, he's got a, his hammer is his hand, and all this stuff. And so the vril is the lightning, and all this right. kind of thing. And so it's it's interesting to see them actually be like, what if there was Hellboy and Thor somehow? Right. So that's cool. It seems like all of this happens in during the lightning strike. Uh-huh. Like we know that Hellboy got struck by the lightning and then all this happened yeah. and then he wakes up. Yeah. So it's like all that happened in that split second. Exactly. You know, where he was being struck by the lightning. And so Hellboy's fighting off all the people that are trying to help him. And when he comes to, he's like, touch me again and I'll feed your innards to my goats. Uh. Oh, I actually got that reference. What Thor, is that uh, reference? Is that? Okay, so Thor has two goats that would travel oh, with him. Yeah. Would travel with him, and at the end of his, at the end of the day of his travels, he would slaughter his goats and eat them. Yeah, and then the next day they would be reborn. They'd be there again. That's oh, right. Oh, and that even happened in Macoma too. He had to eat all his friends, yeah. remember, and stuff like that. And they were like, "Oh, they were happy to give their life to you." Wow, Aubrey, that's awesome. I, I, I thank you for bringing that up. So I guess I Thor totally had some goats, and we just talked about goats because Kashi's looking for, he's going to be a goat farmer. Right. <laughs> he is. Sorry. So I, I, I got it because I was listening to a podcast about Walt Simonson's Thor. Oh, nice. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, but I like this, too, because it's like, uh, Abe is like, what language is he speaking? So he's not even speaking English when he says that stuff. Yeah. You know? And Professor Aronson says, it's an ancient tongue, certainly. I think he said something about goats. <laughs> it was like, ah, oh, that can't be right. I, I like the little, again, the little flashes of comedy. Even this is a very serious situation, right, yeah. but it's super yeah. funny. 
And then that guy, Clar, he has his hand inside his jacket, and Hellboy realized there must be a gun in there. He almost laughed at the intense expression on Clar's face as though the man <laughs> thought he could actually do some damage that way. Uh... And so Hellboy's like, did I hurt anybody? We get another great image of, like, the Hellboy standing there with the hammer, yeah. and we can tell the smoke is rising from having just struck with the lightning and everything. Really I was very cool. pleased with the amount of illustrations. It's more than... A typical book, but it's less than a graphic novel, so it's a good balance of images. Boots sliding on the snow near the river's edge, Abe moved to the side. I can't believe you aren't hurt worse, but that lightning scrambled your eggs, I think. What was that language you were speaking? And Hellboy frowned, lightning, and then he remembered the pain that surged through him, the burning in his veins as the venom. No, no, the lightning. So he's getting the Thor thing confused because they were talking about Thor um, being affected by the venom of the world serpent biting yeah, him and, and stuff like exa- that. Yeah, exactly. And he's also talking about how it seemed odd for him to remember exactly how many steps he staggered backwards. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That's really yeah. cool. They're all coming together. We're always talking about parallels through time and dimensions and realities. And I wonder again, are, are these two realities crashing together or many multiple realities oh, crashing into each other Right. at the same time? We talk about the Vril Ted Howards and how, oh, is it, what is it? Is it simultaneously realities that are happening? Right, right. And so I, is this another instance of the Vril doing that? Sure. Because it's this lightning thing. Uh, it really reminds me a lot of the Galdinar Ted Howard situation is yeah. Thor and Hellboy. That could be a thing. So maybe the... Because the Vril seems to be the common thread there. Yeah, totally. And that's what, like, the lightning... We, we've The lightning is definitely together. a part of that. So. And Hellboy realizes, you know, he remembers the hammer, and he sees it in his hand. Gah! He shouted, and he tried to throw the hammer down. It would not come free of his hand. He could not open his fingers. The hammer was fused there as though it had been welded in place. He swung it, started it again. Oh, crap. Oh, crap. <laughs> That's a big oh crap moment. Yeah. And so this guy, Klar, is like, that artifact is the property of the Swedish government. You will release it. And they're like, um, maybe you haven't been paying attention. Or maybe he's just stupid, Hellboy suggested reasonably. Aww. Look, Mr. Klar, I don't want this thing attached to me, but it's not exactly in my control, is it? I was just like, are you fucking kidding me with that <laughs> dumb shit? I mean, I, I, I was... No, idiot. This this person's powers of observation are not great. It reads here, But Hellboy was barely listening. Clara's tone had awoken something in him. Thunder and lightning. The roar of warring giants. The clash of sword against shield. He sneered, baring his teeth, and bent down over Clara to glare at the man. Hold your tongue, little man, if you wish to keep it in your head. Hellboy's eyes went wide and he clasped his left hand over his mouth. Did I just say that? No idea, Abe says. <laughs> Whatever you said, it wasn't in any language I've heard before. Uh, you know, let's let's call Dr. Manning and let's talk to Kate about this. Uh, we'll figure it out. Yeah, but I do like that that like he can't help it. It's it's It just it, happens. It's Thor's language, but it's coming out of him, you yeah. know. And then he's like, "Oh, wait a minute. Uh, I don't know." And everyone's just like, "Okay, let's uh, let's call let's call Kate." We do read here that Hellboy studies the markings on the side and identifies it as the world tree, Yggdrasil. So I think Professor Aronson is kind of like, ah, can it really be? Right. Is it Thor and all this stuff? And Hellboy's like, yeah, yeah, it's Thor. Right. (laughs) The answer is yes. So they get into the truck and they start going. um, So that way Hellboy and Abe can talk to Manning and Kate. And Hellboy is thinking uh, Mjolnir is 
an entity that can think and reason and has a memory, which is very interesting uh, to me. So it's something about like it that it is aware and has its own identity, right? Which is cool. Somehow, with the rumble of the truck over the frozen land, Hellboy began to drift off. In sleep, though, another image superseded the others. An enormous beast clad in fur, eyes hanging in ridges from the folds of his garments. In the mist, like a blizzard, he saw it staring down at him, easily ten times his height. Face of blue-white, hair and beard white with a covering of snow. Eyes like orbs of clear ice, gleaming from within with an insidious blue glow. The axe over its shoulder covered with frost. It laughed at him. What is he seeing there? Uh, is that like a frost giant? Is that Odin giant. or something? Well, the, the, maybe, I was assuming like a frost giant myself. I, I don't know. I was kind of assuming like the king of the frost giants is kind of a big character in all of their uh, little... They have a lot of run-ins with okay. that guy. So that might be that guy. I don't know. Yeah, I was I was intrigued by that little descriptor. But whatever it is, you know, Hellboy, like, he's like, oh, we got to turn around. And Clara's like, no, we're driving to this place for you to contact your superiors. Hellboy says, turn it around. We're going north. There's something up there that's not right. What are we going to find there? And he's like, I don't know. It's connected. I can feel it. It feels familiar. Right. And then Professor Aronson also asks Hellboy, he says, this feeling that you have. You cannot offer more detail, but are there other feelings? Yeah, Hellboy says, like pictures flashing in my head. Fighting, monsters, that kind of thing. Well, you've done a lot of monster fighting, and Abe is kind of trying to remind him, like, you've done a lot of that, so that's not unusual. And Hellboy says, plenty, but these aren't my memories. I, so, like, I dig this little moment here where it's time for them to go investigate some shit, and Abe's like, well? And Hellboy's like, yeah, it's that way. You're up for it? And he's, lead on, God of Thunder. Ah, that's not funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's laughing? Yeah. That is a cute moment. interesting moment. I like those little character beats. Yeah. So they start going up this mountainside to this hill, and Hellboy starts getting like a bad feeling about this. Well, they also make a point to mention, um, I have to notice this because they mention it so many times in this book. Up until now, it's it's something that they've talked about so often is how cold Abe is. Right. They keep bringing it up, and when an author brings something up that many times, you have to pay attention to it. So it's like... He's getting super cold. It's bothering him a lot. Right. And they just, they make a note of that and then they keep going. So that's just something I just, I feel like, is that going to be important? I don't know. And then Abe says, don't tell me it's up there. Hellboy glanced at him, saw that his friend was not merely tired, but unnerved. You feel it too, don't you? Evil, Abe replied. I guess you don't need a hammer to get that vibe off this place. So they go up and they find this cave. And they see that someone had set explosives around the ridge and blasted a portion of the rock away. I gave it away. The whole someone blew up the mountainside decor. <laughs> the cave was natural, but it had been hidden for some time, perhaps by some previous landslide or perhaps on purpose. It's not here anymore, Hellboy said so quietly that only Abe and the professor could hear. And uh, there was some runes that were etched in the wall and others were painted with ochre dyes, possibly blood. Oh, we yeah. We have seen runes written this way before. Exactly. Uh, Galdenar, etc. And so Hellboy pulls out a flashlight and inside the cave, they find the face engraved with the same sort of runes. The lock on the door had been shattered and it hung open just slightly. Whatever was here was very well hidden, Professor Aronson observed. Someone did not want it to be found. Hellboy stared at the runes of the iron door for a long moment, then he turned to Clar. Someone get back to the trucks, get a photographer up here to take a picture of this. Can't tell what it is yet, but you have to trust me on this part. You will want to stop it. 
I'm guessing you're going to want to help with that. So get me a photographer. And so he goes down to get one. The first flicker of fear crossed the men's faces. Hellboy tried not to smile, then looked at Abe and Professor Aronson. Now we go to Stockholm. Stockholm, Abe asks. The hammer tell you that? Hellboy only looked at him. We're going to see a guy I used to know. An old friend of yours, the professor asks. Hellboy frowned. No. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. And so we open in chapter four. They're listening to some jazz. Yeah, I wish that they had named a piece. Oh, yeah, they're 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 naming the fucking uh, Summoner's Tales by Sting over here. <laughs> they're not going to tell us what jazz they're listening to. And Maybe so, it's uh, Miles Davis, call it anything. There we go. Okay. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's a Dave Brubeck quartet. Okay. <laughs> Tell us what you think it is. In the beginning of chapter four, we're introduced to Pernilla Eichmann. She's listening to a nearby jazz concert at the Cathedral Storkikan, also called Stockholm's Domkirka. It's the oldest church in Stockholm. And Pernilla doesn't like crowds, so she listens from her nearby home. As the music ends. She thinks she hears the sound of hooves on cobblestone, and she sees a pair of figures, one with a fedora and the other in a long coat. I like that she at first she recognizes, like, it sounds like hooves on cobblestones, but it's a weird <laughs> gait. It's not like the way that horses walk. Sure, okay, so yeah. what yeah. is walking with hooves? That's weird. I like that. I was like that she's, you know, she's kind of solid, like, I'm not going to go there and pay the cover and hang out with crowds. I'm just going to sit on my porch and listen to the music. <laughs> Aw, that's nice, too, though. That's nice. So I, I like this because there's kind of like this impending dread as she's like trying to figure out who these two people are. And then it's like mixed with the music. So it talks about how the music gets real staccato at points and stuff like that. Again, I, I wish that we had the actual um you know the song that she was listening to to kind of pair with it and so when she notices the ridges on the big man's head she gets a lump in her throat oh lord no she thought all the warmth went out of her her hands felt clammy suddenly and her chest hurt as though her heart had swollen and was pressed against it from within and she leaps to her feet and runs inside she double locks it she thinks about calling her father, but she's like, no, don't bring him downstairs. Just stay quiet and maybe they'll walk on. And then there's a knock at the door and she yelps. Go away, she cried in Swedish. Then remembering what her father had told her, she shouted again in English. Go away, demon. Stay away from here. I'm not going to let you kill my father. And so Abe's like, exactly. What did you do to these people? What did I? Not a damn thing, Abe. And thanks for that vote of confidence. Hellboy scratched thoughtfully at the small patch of hair on his chin and stared at the door. His right hand was thrust into a trash bag that was tied around his wrist to hide the warhammer that was fused to him. He opened his mouth several times as though he had thought of some response, but long seconds went by and he said nothing. <laughs> I really like that. I do too. I like, I like how Abe's all like, what'd you do? And he's like, thanks for the vote out, Abe, damn it. <laughs> Hellboy's not getting through, so Abe, you know, he tries it. And he's like, I'm Abe and I represent the BPRD. My friend and I were hoping to speak with Professor Edmund Eichmann on a consultation for the Bureau. I gather that's your father. I'll die before I let you hurt him. So dramatic. Right. <laughs> and he's like, no, no one wants to hurt you. And she's like, I saw Hellboy out there. Yeah, I'm here. What's your point? <laughs> oh, that tone's helpful. That's great. I love that moment there. Miss Eichmann, here's the deal. I don't like your father, Hellboy says, but we need his help. I'm not here to hurt anybody. Just tell him I'm here, would you? Tell him we found Mjolnir. And just like that, ah. the door clicks open and was unlocked. 
Pernilla was not alone. To her left, holding the door open, was a thin, nearly bald man who must have been in his late 70s at least, possibly older. He wore square spectacles that for some reason made Abe think of that old story about the cobbler and the shoemaker's elves. I saw you briefly at Trevor's funeral, Eichmann said. Hellboy stood on the stoop and stared at him. I saw you too. I wondered many times how much of a grudge you held after our shared experience with King Vold. Yeah, so um, this is Edmund Eichmann. So remember, he was a friend of Professor Broom, and he went with Hellboy in this expedition, and it was really that whole King Vold thing. Yeah. Yeah, so Hellboy was kind of tricked into doing that, and then he had to fight, like, some werewolves and all this kind of stuff. Man, when they mentioned King Vold, I was like, oh, my God, I know who this douchebag is. (laughs) The Hellboy's like, ah, you almost got me killed. I'm over it. You got it worse than me, all this stuff. And, you know, the guy's like, yeah, oh, yeah, that's so eloquent. Right, yeah. Ah, screw you. You want to see the hammer or not? So we're, <laughs> it's a very, uh, it's a very artful way of getting past all this little. Yeah, I like that. Here. Have you really found Mjolnir? Pernilla asked. The last word hesitant. Like, nobody, wa- I like this, that nobody really wants to believe that it, it could yeah. be true. But that's just, you know, natural. I mean, if somebody found really found Mjolnir today, would you really want to believe no, it? No, sure, or? exactly. Yeah. And that's, it's yeah. fantastic that, you know, all these little, yeah. uh, he writes in all these little hesitations and stuff. Hellboy raised his right hand, brandishing the trash bag in their direction. Pretty <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, but that isn't all. Something's brewing, and your father's the expert in this part of the world. I do like the idea that yeah. it's in this trash bag and stuff. And so they go in. Abe stared at Eichmann's right hand. The skin was pale and dry and spotted with age, but in the middle of it, there was a hole the size of a half dollar. When the old man let his hand hang at his side, Abe could see the thick gray twill fabric of his pants right through the hole. Remember, Kingvold dropped the gold, and when he tried to catch it, it like went right through his hand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But he immediately is like, here's my daughter. She is also an accomplished folklorist and archaeologist in her own right. Um, so now we're getting this thing of like, well, though he can't come with you, but this lady can. So I'm passing the buck, passing the torch. Okay. Passing the torch on. Here she is, the new character. That's setting it up. Yeah. She's the new character. She's going to go with you. She also looks at Abe and she says, I apologize if this seems rude, but what are you? That's a hundred thousand dollar question. Abe replied. I'll let you know when I find out. So the events of Plague of Frogs haven't happened yet. Right. Right. I don't know if he even still found out after that. Right. Even if when he did find out, he's not going to be like, well, I'm a jellyfish that made myself turn into. Uh, Yeah. I might be a guy. I might be a god. I don't know. I I created my own origin somehow. I'm a a fish man. (laughs) There's no other man like me. I'm a weird fish guy. He and Sanchin were together, and then he was a jellyfish, and then a Victorian era guy got that and merged with it, and now he's a. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I just, I do like his response of like, uh, I don't know, I'll let you know when I find out. Sweet right. cheeks. Like, it's very, like, <laughs> it's good shit. And so there's a moment where um, she catches him staring at Eichmann's hand again. It isn't polite to stare. Abe looked up at her, stricken with a rush of guilt. Sorry, it's just, well, it's amazing to me that he can still use it. That's all right, Pernilla said warmly, a lopsided grin on her face. If you can forgive my rudeness, I'm certainly willing to forgive yours. It's a deal. Okay. Right so on. there's that little moment. Yeah, yeah. Like she asked him what he was and all this kind of For stuff. Sure. And yeah. Inside, they take off the trash bag <laughs> and they're looking at Mjolnir and they're like examining it. They're like taking out all their books and all this kind of stuff. I do like this moment where he says, uh, 
Hellboy had never seen anyone get so excited over a hunk of metal and working in the bureau. He seemed to always be around people who got excited about strange hunks of metal. That's great. Yeah, yeah no, that's a fantastic <laughs> line. I also like the um, when they're all trying to talk about it. They spoke Swedish to one another in frequent bursts and then apologized for excluding the others before lapsing into Swedish again. That just seems like a very <laughs> yeah. natural thing that people would do. That's I just I like that little uh, the little touch there. And they're trying to figure out what the symbols on the hammer mean. It's Yggdrasil, Hellboy said, <laughs> and then felt a rush of annoyance and frustration. He had spoken almost without meaning to, the knowledge and the words coming up through him. Not that he wouldn't have shared that information, but he felt uneasy and even slightly embarrassed by the strange ticks in his behavior since he had picked up the hammer. Also, like, that's not necessarily, like, hidden information. Like, Yggdrasil is okay. pretty... Is pretty general knowledge so he he feels upset he's like how could i possibly know this but i feel like if you ask like the general person on the street like hey what's yggdrasil you know a good portion of them would probably say isn't that like the tree like a you know not everyone would be like oh yes that's the world tree from norse mythology but i feel like a lot of people would have a good idea of what it was i don't know oh i i, I don't actually agree with that i oh, think okay. most people i think most people you'd say that if they it, it, well maybe now that now that uh, Marvel movies have come out and they mentioned it a few times, some people might know, but I think the majority of the population of at least the United States, I'm not going to speak of any other country because I can't sure. say that. Maybe I have like a warped, maybe I have a warped no view of, yeah, maybe I have a warped view of that just because of like the people You've, I talk to know what it is. So maybe that's, yeah, you, I mean, you yeah. could be perfectly right. Maybe I'm completely wrong and most people don't know what it is. So I don't know. And when Hellboy says that, Eichmann freezes, and Pernilla shoots up. It says, uh, her father shook it off and stared over at Hellboy. How did you know, he asks him. I just did, Hellboy replied. I've been having these, I don't know, daydreams. More like nightmares, though. Seeing things in my head. And I had this urge to check out a spot only a few miles from where they found the dead guy. We went there, and there was a cave there. Someone had taken something out of there that should have been left buried. Pretty sure it's connected, but I don't know how. Not yet. We're hoping that you could help with that part. Eichmann suddenly looked frail and unsteady on his feet. He put a hand on the back of a chair to maintain his balance. Prunella looked as though she might try to steady him, but she held back. Hellboy figured she was getting tired of the old man spurning her efforts to take care of him. Not that it was any of their business. And so she's like, ah, oh, maybe you should go get some rest and look at this in the morning. We think there may be some sort of trace memory attached to the hammer that Hellboy's picking up on, Abe explained. I spoke to our field director at the Bureau, and she thinks it's awoken some sort of psychometry in Hellboy that he didn't know he had. Psycho something, Hellboy muttered. Oh, no. And so psychometry is a form of extrasensory perception characterized by the claimed ability to make relevant associations from an object of unknown history by making physical contact with the object. Supporters assert that the object may have an energy field that transfers knowledge regarding that person's history. It's interesting how she says, oh, just with this one object, there's no precedent for that. Psychometry is usually just an inherent ability. Either you have it or you don't, but it's kind of like... Aren't there actually like a lot of instances, at least in like mythology and folklore and whatever, of like the object itself is like the thing that is okay, yeah, is in you know, you I know, think imparting it, this. When I was reading about it here, it seems like it's almost like um, people can do it with anything. Like you could sure. pick up this can and go, oh, no, sure, sure. I some I, dork yeah. with glasses and a mustache was drinking out of this. You know <laughs> I what I mean, or something. She seems to have had a lot of experience with like oh yeah it's an ability that people have and they can touch a thing and know about it and i get that but i also feel like 
she talks about, oh, there's no precedence for that. But I feel like there's a lot of at least stories and things like that where that's a thing. I don't know. Maybe that's just my own. Again, like I, maybe I'm bringing my own like bias into that. But it's kind of interesting how she's like, oh, that could never be a thing when she's literally looking at Thor's fucking hammer <laughs> and a guy, a super tall demon dude and a fish man. So it's kind of like it's a little late in the day to be making claims about what can and cannot be possible. They basically say that Eichmann has to go get some rest and they say that they can stay there for the night and then check it out in the university tomorrow morning. Hellboy glanced at Abe. He didn't want to stay in this creepy old bastard's house. Eichmann had always been a little off-center. Right. Sure, they needed his help, wanted his input, but he would rather not sleep under the same roof with a guy who had almost got him eaten by a giant mythological werehound. Fair. That's fair. That is very fair. On the other hand, though, Professor Aronson had offered them up at the university. It had gotten late, and he wanted to get an early start in the morning. So they decide to stay there. Yeah. And so we get this one part where Hellboy is trying to sleep, and there's the tick-tock of the clock. It says that it chimes every damn half hour, too, which was annoying and roused him slightly each time. And so Hellboy's trying to sleep, and he keeps hearing this ticking. And then an intermittent chittering noise. Yeah. And then so he looks up and he sees, on the windowsill, snapping open nutshells and nibbling at the innards, a squirrel. Heck yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Parents had a clock once. Every half hour it made a damn noise, and every hour it made a... It played like a damn song, and it was so annoying. <laughs> it must you know, be like I mean, an old-timey thing. I mean, they still have them today, and it's just like, you know, my mom loved that clock, so can really ever do anything about it, but damn, that thing was annoying. <laughs> Especially at night, because it was in the living room, and, you know, I'm trying to watch, like, you know, movies, and this damn clock just keeps chiming all the goddamn time. Yeah, that would make it irritating. So I felt Hellboy's pain. Okay, right on. <laughs> but was there a magical squirrel sitting at your windowsill? It would have made it much more interesting. Yes. <laughs> no. But no, there was Yeah, not. so he sees this squirrel and... Uh, He's like, you chew too loud. Okay. Go bother someone else. And then the squirrel talks back to him. Oh, man. He is fleeing, Hellboy. You must stop him. The fate of Midgard depends on it. He bolts upright <laughs> and stares at the squirrel. He points at the rodent with the hammer. Say that again. <laughs> fantastic you must stop him the squirrel said staring right at him oh crap you're ratatosk aren't you all right so this is a squirrel he travels up and down yggdrasil he's delivering messages in between the eagle that lives at the top of yggdrasil and the serpent that lives down at the roots and he's passing messages around uh and that's pretty fucking cool how they included this little guy yeah i was stoked hurry the squirrel said then it turned and fled out the window. And so Hellboy looked down, and he's like, Eichmann, you son of a bitch. <laughs> he runs down the hallway. He's got his pants on because ah. he was too self-conscious to take them off because he didn't have his pajamas. <laughs> and he shouts for Abe. He's crack He's running so hard that his hooves are cracking the wood floor. Right. Oh, man. And as he passes a window, he spots Eichmann hurrying away. <laughs> there was a hitch in his step, no doubt. But he moved away from the house with studying alacrity, such that his departure could not be confused with something as innocuous as a nocturnal wandering. Oh. He had a destination in mind. Professor Eichmann was running to something. That's such a great paragraph. Yeah. Well written. Love it. So Hellboy steps out and he opens the door. 
Flashes of silver gleamed off distant street lamps, and razor-edged blades whistled through the air and sliced his left shoulder. Other blades, long and thin as fencing swords but unnaturally sharp, danced towards him. Hellboy raised the hammer in his huge right hand and blocked them. One thrust at his chest and stung him there, in the middle of his breastbone, and he took a step backward, peering into the darkness, eyes focused only on the glimmer of silver on the swords. It was as though they came out of nothing, as though these weapons were wielded by the knight itself. Then something leaped at him. Several dark leathery somethings, lanky bony things with long tapered talons for fingers and glowing eyes of stunning dark frozen beauty. They drove him to the ground and others emerged from the shadows of the foyer to claw at him hissing. They were going for his eyes. I knew! And that's where we end chapter four. And so what is it that's... Do you, do you have any idea what that is? Because I haven't read ahead. Is this like another mythological thing? next time on <laughs> The Book Club Actually uh, Reads a Book. Well, I, I haven't gone any further, but my, my thoughts and theories, it's something representation of the serpent, the world serpent. Oh, okay. Because the way it... Because, okay, I was listening to the audio book, but then I got distracted for a second and I had to back it up, but I heard came in and when it said like the swords were coming down like knives. And that made me think of when he was fighting the serpent earlier in chapter three, it talked about the, the teeth were sharp like knives. Oh, okay. Well, I wonder if this early in the story, if we're not due for a little lackey action. So I wonder if there's going to be some, you know, maybe some kind of like someone sent... A couple of boogity men guys to right. come get Hellboy his, you know, like uh, like henchmen or like uh, little guys to come after him or something. Because I wonder, like, if this early in the story, if we're just if we're kind of still at henchman stage, and then like, ah, who's behind this? I'm the guy behind this, and now you got to talk to this right, guy, right. and now that guy's gonna tell you part of the puzzle too. Because we thing. we had him like he had this vision of a frost giant, yeah. and then he saw that little squirrel thing, which was part of Norse mythology. So it made me yeah. think like this is another Norse thing. Sure, and it, maybe not necessarily like a big bad. But yeah, like a henchman kind of thing that's coming after him. But I don't know yet. Who knows? Because you know, I haven't read. So. Who knows? So we'll find out on the next Hellboy time, same Hellboy <laughs> podcast, same Hellboy channel. Uh. So what what did you think about reading this book? It's definitely a different experience, right? It's different. Yeah. And like, you know, like we were talking about earlier, I kind of at first was like, why isn't this a, you know, why isn't this a sequential art? And then... But then, you know, it's a book for a reason, so let's settle in, and the writing's good. So I, it was easier to settle in, oh, yeah. you know, once I realized, hey, Christopher Golden, he's a great writer, let's he's settle great. into this. And it's it's supplemented by uh, drawings from Mignola that's slightly more often than you would get in a typical book. So that kind of, uh, you know, satiates that oh, yeah. Yeah. feeling a little like bit. That. And so uh, once you settle into it, it's just like reading any other, you know, book. It's it's written like, yeah, it's like a, it's like a comic book. But it's not, but you're reading it, so it's a book, but it's like... So, yeah, once I settled in, I thought it was... I, I, I was definitely able to lose myself in the narrative and in the world because, um, like I said, you know, great writing. So. Yeah, and I always feel like it's a little weird covering these on the podcast because, I mean, you could just listen to the audiobook, right? But I, I also... It's a book club! But, but I also like it. I, I think it's interesting that we all three have different parts that we kind of latch on to. Exactly. You know what oh, I mean? Because yeah. I'm trying to, like, steer the thing, and I think these parts are important, but then you're like, oh, wait, but you forgot this really good part. And it's like, with a book, it's kind of like, there is so much content that yeah. everybody kind of... I just think that's interesting. How... That's the whole point of having yeah. a book club, no matter if it's an actual book that you're reading or if it's sequential art or whatever. Um, that's the whole point of it is you, you're getting this together to discuss 
the thing that you all read yeah and different parts are obviously going to stand out to different people and different people are going to catch things that you didn't catch or have a different interpretation that maybe you want to think about like i didn't think about it that way that's very interesting it expands not only your knowledge but you're the way that you think about things. And it's fun to hear your friends talk about what they thought about this, how it impacted them. And, ah, did you know this and that? And the yeah. other? Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And that's the whole point of the book club is is uh, reading the book and talking to your friends. Just with these four chapters, I am really loving the working relationship with Hellboy and Abe. I think that that yeah, is sure. like yeah, so well-written. So and I think it, it provides a good foundation for all of us. And I also think it's interesting how... There are these little throwaway lines like, "Oh, those sea monster, those seal monsters," and right. that they're actually they're an actual thing, just like in the comics. Yeah. You know, in the comics, these little throwaway lines are like real monsters or real mythological things, and we're getting them here in the book too. So yeah. I just love all that kind well, of stuff. Well, the people who are creating this, it's not just to create content. It's not they're not like churning this out to be like we gotta churn out a. A bunch of content. You gotta fucking. That's the content mills. You gotta just churn it out. I don't give a fuck. That's not. These people are here to do this because they absolutely have endless passion for these topics, for what they do, and it comes out on every page. And so it's one of those things where it's it's like these guys could just do whatever the fuck they want all day. Like you know, they don't have to be doing this, but they are doing this specifically because that's what they want to be doing. Yeah, and I I I feel like that's really what drives. Like you said, they they put these little things like hey hey, I'm gonna put a little mention of this. Mytho- oh, remember that time we ran into those those seal monsters last time we were there? And then, like, that's going to prompt, if you're the kind of person who's reading this, you can be like, I gotta look this up. What's right. that? That's going to be a thing. <laughs> so, you know, with, as uh, you might not necessarily get that with other um, artists and writers and the things that they're creating and whatever. And so um, getting together and talking about it all together is, is going to be like, Aubrey's going to notice some things uh, that's going to stay, that there are some things that are going to stand out to him. That maybe didn't necessarily stand out to me on my first read through, right. but then after he mentions it, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, and that gives me a better understanding, or that gives me uh, it highlights something of the story. I, I get to appreciate that a little bit more, and so yeah, I do. I think this is it's really rewarding to yeah. do stuff like that. It's fantastic. I, I do want to echo what Danielle said. Like, you know, when I first started reading this, I'm like, yeah. you know, the whole thing with the uh, the the Kaipur at the beginning. I'm all like, this is cool, but why am I reading a, a book or <laughs> listening to a book when I could be reading this as a comic? But once the story kind of gets, you know, shifts to him and Abe getting yeah. together, and then when they get to, and then it really, when it kind of does that little, you know, he picks up the hammer, and then next thing you know, you get the Thor flashback. You're in it, I'm yeah. like, I'm like, holy shit, where is this fucking going? I'm loving every second of this. It's very well written. It's, uh, and I'm listening to the audiobook, and I feel like the narrator is doing an extremely well job. Uh, That's good. But I, I, I love it very much. But, and then, John, you sent me the uh, images. You know, you texted me the images. I'm sitting here looking at uh, Mignola's version of um, uh, Mjolnir, and it reminds me a little bit of... Um, Walt Simonson's um, Mjolnir for his own okay. creator-owned series, uh, Ragnarok. And I'm actually going to send you an image. Oh, nice. Yeah, send me that. I, I need some uh, I need some content for this week. So, yeah, right that would be great. Right that would be great. It's not, it's not a one-one comparison, but it, it is very similar because it has that same slope on it. Oh, as okay. Opposed, as opposed to, and it has, like, you know, the more intricate detail on it, as opposed to the Marvel Comics version, right. which is like a block. Right. Uh, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I do like you know the Marvel comic version. You know I'm not trying to shit on that or anything like that. I actually I do don't like it. Like it so, I, but but I wonder that, if that, uh, that, 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 you know. yeah. I wonder if this Mignola slash Simonson version is kind of like 
more based in the actual mythology yeah, well, these, and stuff these, like that. These versions I would, are I would actually, assume it would. These um, illustrations are actually, like you said, uh, they're they're very close to things that uh, you can find um, archaeological uh, examples of of these images that are very similar, and also um, even today uh, in modern times, people there are some people who will wear. Uh, a Thor's hammer as a necklace or things like that. Okay. Um, with a, it has a very similar look and a similar shape and everything. I just want to mention really briefly that is uh, sometimes used uh, by Nazis as a, a Nazi symbol, but that's fucked up and we can't let them have it. They got away with taking a bunch of other symbols and there are, you know, pagans who are kind of, they're trying to push back on that and be like, no, you can't actually have that. <laughs> yeah. Cannot have the Thor's hammer. That's, that doesn't belong to you. That's not what that means at all. So, no. And so I think that that is still... Some people have given it up, and then there are some people who are, like, not giving ground and saying, actually, no, we're not we're not giving up on this quite yet. Not everyone wearing yeah. the Thor's hammer is going to be an unsafe person, but some people wearing it are going to be, and so that's still kind of a thing. So, yeah, just to kind of touch on that, because we've been talking about this imagery um, for quite a while now. But, yeah, so that, that uh, specific imagery, I do like this better because it is a little bit more faithful to some archaeological interpretations and but it is still very unique at the same time which is neat yeah like very that. cool yeah. but yeah because i know there's like this whole like uh swedish black death metal thing that tries to incorporate the norse mythology to for some racist bullshit right crap. and yeah and I, and I like and i like that people are not gonna or not letting that go without. No, I think fight. modern pagans are kind of pushing back on that because it, it actually has meaning to them, and they're like, "No, you can't have that." Actually, well, well, actually, yeah. remember that Roger and that guy whose powers only work when the weather's good right. are going to go yeah. up there and and beat up all those guys. That's right, remember? exactly that. <laughs> remember so, the yeah. tales. Awesome, awesome. And we'll have some more actual book club next week as we continue to check out this book. I hope that you guys are enjoying these episodes, and I hope that you guys are reading the books along with it. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. Aubrey's going to say all the things. I'm going to say all the things. All right, everybody. Actual book number two. Okay, well, I guess it's actual book number one because we only did short stories in the past. But I want you to share us your thoughts by sending us a hey, you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find all of our resources on our Facebook About section and our Podbean website. As always, a special thank you to Paul from Gardaharn for the lovely music he provided for us. Thank you, Paul. Yeah. Yes. Lovely. Also, thank you to Mark Trudell for uh, helping out with the reading order and uh, engaging uh, uh, Mr. Mignola this week with uh, the whole lobster questions. Thanks to uh, John for everything you do. Thank you to Danielle for your awesomeness. And, <laughs> I don't uh, do anything. And, and, Thank and, you. And, and I'm going to say thank you to me for being me. Yeah, thanks, Aubrey. <laughs> thanks, Aubrey. You deserve it. Yeah. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast from. Next week, we're sticking with an actual book. We're reading Hellboy, The Bones of Giants, chapters five through nine. So this one, you know what you got to do. Get a book. Buy a physical book, buy it on a Kindle or an Apple, or uh, get the audio book from an Audible or a Coupla. Somehow absorb the book through your head, Osmosis wise. <laughs> borrow uh, from a friend, <laughs> borrow it from the library. And join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. Um, I'm a squirrel that travels up and down Yggdrasil. And I'm Aubrey Loveless saying, I got nothing. Short of breaking down the door. Aww. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, bones of giant. Yeah.